Just a few film nerds breaking out of a rut Drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks And come and listen in, we're Measuring Flicks Hello everyone, welcome to Measuring Flicks I'm Carl Hartley And I'm Max Peterson Today we are doing, it's kind of a special episode We are covering 1971's Straw Dogs Directed by Sam Peckinpah And before we go any further um, th- this movie requires. Right. We have a statement. We have a statement we're going to read at the beginning of this episode, uh, and I'll just I'll read it so you can get a sense of what you're what you're in for. Today, Carl and I will be talking about 1971's Straw Dogs, directed by Sam Peckinpah. As fair warning, this is one of the most controversial films in history. The film itself, the story behind the making of the film. And Peckinpah, both as a director and as a man, are equally as controversial and often problematic. I believe it is important before we begin to establish a few things. First, our conversation exists in the context of the film. We are first and foremost looking at an often troubling and extremely difficult work of art. That is what we are discussing. There are real-world concerns and issues that will come into play, but there's no avoiding that much of what we're going to discuss today is troubling and controversial, and many of the ideas and concepts that I would like to examine and explore in these episodes are abhorrent, problematic, and upsetting. Secondly, all that being said, this conversation will not shy away from any aspect, element, or avenue we wish to explore. We mean to do a deep dive on this film and have these ideas out, however hard or horrid they may seem. This is an intellectual discussion, but we believe it important to recognize that intellectual discussions are not always pleasant or safe, but that in their danger and discomfort, they can be valuable. Finally, I have decided that I will not cut anything out of these episodes, including silence or pauses, which I sometimes edit out of other episodes for pacing. What you'll hear is exactly the conversation that Carl and I are about to have without any of the ugliness, discomfort, or dangerous ideas debrided therefrom. Which kind of <laughs> yeah, and so here we go. It's tell. kind of yeah. uns like uh, it made me a little bit nervous too because I'm like, oh. it's a little unsettling to even yeah. read that at the I head. Know. Okay, the so what we're talking about today, I'm gonna I'll do we'll do the yeah, cast yeah, like yeah, we yeah. usually do. Absolutely. So it's it's it is it's Straw Dogs. Um, Dustin Hoffman stars as David Sumner. Susan George stars as Amy Sumner. Uh, and John Coquillon was the director of photography, and he's very important. Would we watch today? We both watched the same version. Mm-hmm. It's the Criterion uh, Blu-ray release. Yes. So the film is presented in its original aspect ratio of 1.85 to 1. This is all nerdy shit that no, I, I, I loved, it. dude. Well, that's why Criterion is so awesome, because they have these sort of specifications. And yeah, like the... the as nerdy uh, as Definitive. It's like the yeah. definitive yep. Straw Dogs is what we watched. Um, we did watch... I, I have a 1080, uh, 1080 television, but the transfer was done in 4K from the original 35mm Master Negative, and the original soundtrack was remastered from the original 35mm Magnetic oh, Tape. So they went and got... All the all the masters and did this version from that. Awesome. Yeah, so it's it was a, it was pretty exceptional sounding. Mm-hmm. It was gorgeous to look at. It doesn't at. look or sound like a 1971. No, film. this like if it the, the if the if the sound had been because they they are recording on tape. If right. the sound had been a little bit more clean because it yeah. is warm, it you is, can hear yeah, the warm definitely. But if the sound had been a little really bit cleaner, clacky. yeah, yeah. If, and also, if you didn't know that Dustin Hoffman had aged, but like looking at this film, this could just be a period piece shot right. like last year. Yeah, 
timeless film. So really quick, um, you got a vamp because I'm gonna oh, go. That, and that's fine. I have a booklet that has all of the all of the oh, cast. Oh, really cool. And I really want that because when we talk about the cast, I want awesome. names. So it's interesting, I think, that we're doing this film as part of the Terror Obscura, which I think a lot of people would think October, Terror Obscura, we do Sleepaway Camp. Last House on the left is sort of, it's Wes Craven-y. Wes Craven's a horror director. And then this movie, for some reason, I was thinking, when you first mentioned Straw Dogs, I was thinking of a different movie, as I tend to do, and I thought it was going to be like a werewolf movie or something. (laughs) It is not a werewolf movie. It is a little. But it is. It is. Which is kind of funny. This is like... This is the real primal shit that that is exists in all of us that happens in this film. Yeah, this this is it's the dark passenger. It's the whole it's a, fucking It's um Peck and Paw as a director was we we decided um that we wanted to include at least one Peck and Paw film. Mm-hmm. He's some of you might if you know him kind of casually know the name. It's usually associated with a western called The Wild Bunch. Yes. And he, as a director, is associated with basically uh, introducing into mainstream cinema images of hyperviolence. Yes. He's considered like one before, of the most... Before Kubrick's Clockwork Orange, or was that in the 60s? I think 70s. Clockwork Orange is 71 okay. as well. You can look it up if you want. Because yep. um, I kept I had like images of Clockwork Orange in some of this. Yeah, this uh, this film is often listed um, when we when we sat down to look up films and stuff. I would look up films like the the top ten most controversial films of all time, so we could have a you know con- seventy one is Clockwork Orange. So this year. yeah, so this movie and Clockwork Orange are released in the same year. Interesting because these are, feel a little bit like. And isn't Last things. House on the Left seventy one as well? Oh, fuck, I think, I think it, it is. Be. Yeah, so this this is a like a very violent year for cinema. Um, just to give you an, an idea of like w- when Carl and I put this list together, including controversial films and stuff, three out of 72. 72 was last house. So three out of four of the movies we're doing for our Valentine's Day month are rated NC-17 <laughs> and two out of those four were nominated for Oscars. Yes. Oh, Last Tango in Paris. Last Tango in Paris and Blue Valentine mm-hmm. were both, uh, both have Oscar nods attached to them. Um, and uh, Blue is the Warmest Color is mm-hmm. another NC-17. So we're watching three NC-17 romance films for February. And yes. uh, the only one, the only NC-17 that's ever won an Oscar is Midnight Cowboy, which also stars Dustin Hoffman, mm-hmm. which came out two years two before years this. Before, right? Yep. So yeah, this is this is a strange stretch in the career of Dustin Hoffman. Actually, if you want, if you think about it. Still early in his career, early enough where he did this just for the money. Like in the trivia, anyways, on IMDb, like Dustin Hoffman wasn't necessary because there were a lot of like triple A. Actually, Sidney Poitier was was offered the role at one point for couple, Straw Dogs for or Straw Midnight Dogs Cowboy. For this. So I'm sorry. Okay, for this movie. So he, the IMDb claims he did this for the money. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so I watched. My goal with this one, I didn't actually, I didn't manage to do it, but my goal was to absorb all of the bonus content on the Criterion disc because they, this one is thick they with, pack oh my gosh, these again. discs. I didn't make it through, so Criterion, I, yeah. so I watched two documentaries. One is called Man Trap, uh, Straw Dogs: The Final Cut, directed by Paul Joyce. That's from two thousand three. Uh, we just watched another one called The Films. I think it's the The Films of Sam Peckinpah. That's nineteen ninety three. Same director. I read two essays, Home Like No Place by Joshua Clover, 2002, and uh, an interview 
Uh, it's called The Cinema of Sam Peckinpah from 1974, conducted by Andre Leroux, which the, I think some of the most troubling stuff we're going to talk about comes from that essay. Fair enough. Mm. But um, everything that I'd seen um, from that first one, Man Trap, the mm. documentary, the 2003, Dustin Hoffman is pretty prevalent in that. He kind of avoids talking about this movie. He doesn't show up in a lot of this stuff, but he, he right. agreed to appear in that uh, Man Trap. And it sounds to me like he he took the film as an artistic challenge, not so much for just just for the money. Just for the money. That's yeah, interesting. Because well, you take anything you read on IMDb with a grain of fucking salt, anyway, because anyone can contribute information to it in like the trivia section. Yeah, it's like reading Wikipedia instead of actually doing diligent research on, on something. It also does <laughs> sound kind of like that casual throwaway. Um, like an interviewer asks you, like, "Why did you ever agree to do something as horrible as oh, Straw well, Dogs?" He's like, next. "No, I did it for the money." Yeah. So anyway, um, instead of getting into the hard conversation, right, when you're on an e entertainment. Fucking, yeah. Right, yeah. If you're sitting across from Ellen DeGeneres right. and she brings up Straw Dogs, so seventy-one you, Straw Dogs, you gloss that as quick as it's, you can. It's like, look, can we talk about Outbreak and Cuba Gooding Jr. or something? That'd be a lot easier for me to deal with. I did it for the money. Moving on. Oh uh, yeah, Rain just, Man. How just about did that, that for the money? Remember when course. I was? Oh, 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 yep, definitely bad. Remember definitely that? Bad. Yeah, Tom Cruise is great. We yeah. counted cards in Vegas. Thirty-four, twenty-three. I mean, no, you want to yeah. fucking? Straw hey, dog? I'm walking here. Yeah, you know, right. remember? Right. Hey, are you trying to seduce me, Ellen DeGeneres? Remember how I'm Dustin Hoffman and we don't have to think about the horrible rape revenge movie that I did? By the way, that's something I want to dive into. So Straw Dogs... It's not so much a rape revenge movie. It A lot of people that... It's weird. There's... When you watch the documentaries... Because he never knows and she never takes immediate action. Do they? Well, I think we'll get into it. Okay, fair Peck, enough. Peckinpah has a really interesting thing to say about that. Um... And I want to try and we're going to this is going to be our longest episode. We know it's going to be mm-hmm. so. But I, I want to do this like deep, slow sure. dig. All right. But um, some people when they inter- are interviewed about this, they call it like, well, Peckinpah did a rape revenge movie. And then other people refer to it as his English Western. I can see that. Yeah. Which it kind of is because you've got. There's a lot of things that feel like a Western in this. Very a much. Lot. Like most of it feels like a Western. The house under siege. Mm-hmm. The, there's like the posse. There's going to be a lynching of like yeah. a criminal. Even in a weird way when, when Niles strangles the girl, that kind of feels like a beat from a Western. It and then al- he's on also, the run. It kind of feels like a beat from of Mice and Men too. Like accidentally. Yeah. Like there's, which isn't necessarily a Western. It's, but it's... There's a one of the the essayists calls the movie Peck and Paws non-war war film. Well, which this, it also the whole reason is. that that they are in the countryside is because David is avoiding essentially having to deal with Vietnam. Well, uh, I think they're it's all subtextual. They don't really right. ad, uh, openly address. They don't it, openly address it. There are a couple of like brief sides. They he he's a professor. And he was having, there was some issue that occurred on their campus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they moved to England, she says, because he was, this was the last place that he could hide. Amy tells David that this yeah. is the last place he could hide. And um, uh, most of the critics seem to scan that as, like, these are campus protests of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And this, this movie has Vietnam all over it. But it sounds like there's campus protests of Vietnam and he, rather than deal with it, ran away from it. And that's why they're in England. Um, So the the plot is super simple. You can can sum it up in like less than a paragraph. Mathematician David 
moves to England with his wife Amy to her father's house. She's originally from yeah, she's England. She's from this town. Yeah, from this town. She knows. She's like everyone in the town. They know. Right. They all fucking came up together. And it's that's important too that Amy has all these ties throughout the town, and Dustin Hoffman has. Zero. Zero. And he's the American. He's a complete. Yeah, he's, he's an outsider, Yankee. stranger. Yeah. He's the alien. Um, so they go and move into her daddy's house, and then he's trying to work on his book, and he's hired some local some local folks: uh, Tom Hedden, Charlie Venner, uh, Norman Scutt, and Bobby Hedden to work on his garage because the garage has no roof. So he hires these four local Englishmen to work on the roof, and they. They do some long construction work. They put on shingles slower than any human being. <laughs> this is before pneumatic, you it's, know. Yeah. So they do it all by, they're using rocks to bang the fucking nails in. They're their thickest they, boots. They took three and a half months to get it half took of it done. The, well, and we find out that that's intentional. They're working on oh, the garage Oh, yeah, they're milking slowly. the shit out of it, for sure. One for money, but two... To Google. What, to, yeah, one of the big focuses of the film is this: there's sexual tension and discord between Amy and David. Because they... He wants to work. Yeah. She wants to hang out with him in England. She A, a lot of this movie, she wants to have sex. Mm-hmm. She wants... I read a lot of this. She also wants to be around her husband. Like, she genuinely likes him and loves him and wants to spend time with him. And right. And he is fully engaged in this book. And so they have that, like... He's I get away from me, woman. I want to read, and he's like, "I love you, Amy, but I I want you. To I want be you to leave me alone. Yeah, leave me alone." Um. So, she yeah, she's very clingy and clamoring for attention, and he is absolutely detached mm-hmm. from her. Calls her a child, and then there's some several times, and yeah. there's some weird lines there. Um. So in one of the interviews, they're talking to Dustin Hoffman and uh, Susan George about whether or not the marriage had problems before, before they got. They moved, yeah. And both of them agree that they did, but both of them also agreed that because they they did extensive backstory for their characters. Didn't they have to live with each other for a couple of weeks with like the co-producer. Uh, they actually, I think they, I, I'm not sure about and that. Some of their, and some of their um, performance beats came about in that living together. Like Peck and Paw's like, I need you two to live with each other for three weeks. Well, we we just heard that he, that that's a, was a common trick of his in the, the, the last documentary that oh, you yeah, and I yeah, just yeah. watched where he would, if, if he wanted people to have rapport on set, he'd force them to live together. Yep. <laughs> and if he wanted people to be uh, at odds with each other on set, he would spread rumors that people were talking shit hey, about each other. Yeah, you hear Max is talking shit about you. He yeah. said he had a small wiener. And then there's, like, ah. there's an interesting actor, the guy who plays, uh, I think it's the guy who plays Bobby Hedden, was saying mm-hmm. that he was working... Uh, and one, uh, he's one of the four Englishmen, mm-hmm. and him and Charlie. No, it's Norman Scutt. I'm sorry, the guy who plays Norman Scutt. Um, he and Charlie are the two rapists in the film. Yeah, and Peckinpah wanted them to be like cohorts, but at a certain point in the filming, he wanted them to be at odds because you can see their relationship. It changes very quickly. So what he did yeah. was he went to the guy who plays Scutt and told him. Um, Del Henny's the guy who plays Venner or Charlie. Yeah. And he goes, Yeah, Del um Del said that you're like I thought it was great, but Del was saying that some of your performances it seems like you're you're just kinda shit. And he, he wants to he was saying that he he really wished that you'd bring it up. Again, I don't 
I don't agree with him, but man, yeah, he said, um, I'll go look at the dailies and see if I can see what he's seeing. But yeah, he said your last, your last couple of takes were just garbage and that you're not, you're not really bringing it. I I just, I just thought you should know. I I think you're doing awesome. It's like, don't worry about it. Don't don't change anything. He was probably just in a bad mood and then he left. (laughs) And for the rest of shooting, just fucking yes. Norman's got this. Yep. (laughs) He's He's got, got this acid. Yeah, well, and then, of course, he goes and talks. He'll go and talk to Charlie, and Charlie's like, no, no, I never said that. And he's like, oh, well, okay, I guess we're cool then. But like they they said in that interview, that seed is there. There. Like, maybe, did he say that? Mm -hmm. And that's going to come across. And that little bit of tension, that that little bit of realistic tension pops up. Absolutely. So... Guys, we're gonna. I'm gonna. I have a lot of notes, and yeah. we're just gonna go through them, and we're gonna go through them slow, and we're gonna go through them in depth, and we're gonna go on tangents. But yeah. watch the movie because I'm. That's a, that's as much recap yeah, as you're getting. Yeah, yeah. This is this movie. Yeah, watch it. And before we go any further, yeah, did you like it? Yeah, I did. I did too. Yeah, I think this is. It an makes me. It makes me feel film. awkward to say, but because of. But it's really. We'll get into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are worse first impressions. There are worse. Again, maybe it's having come from this is like the ninth movie that we've watched this season that has some form of rape in it. Yeah, it's still difficult to watch and to deal with. But this does some different things. We'll get to it when we get to it. I think this is but the I think most is, difficult rape we've watched. I think so too. Yeah, because it's it's not as graphic as any of the others. But it's there's a oh, fuck. It's very real. Yeah. Um, and some, I I don't know if I agree with that, but we'll but we'll get there when we get oh, there. Yeah, but. yeah, it's, yeah. Because, mm-hmm. but it's the one that made me the most like uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Yeah. But with that being said, I think it's the one that was. It's been handled with the not the most care. That's not what I want to say. But again, this isn't a movie that is that's focused on that. It's a very small part of the film. It I think lasts I know, for three and a half minutes. Is this what you're trying? I, I um, I think I kind of get what you're saying with this rape scene has a story in it yes and it has beats yes and whereas a lot of the other rape scenes you get the sense it's you get the sense that the the attacking actor mm-hmm. is like he he's playing animal yeah and the girl who's being raped in the scene is playing There's a story being told here yeah yeah a lot of times it's just like attacker victim mm-hmm. and that's how it's played yeah. and that's horrifying to watch but what makes this more They're horrifying people. Is your wife? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. They're they're the, they're, they're an act. They're, Charlie, yeah. the first the first rapist. His motivations change yes. throughout the rape scene. And there are there are things changing. And, and we'll we'll do a deep yeah. deep dig. But even more disturbing is Amy's reactions yes. to the rape also shift. Yes. I can't even. Oh my! It hurts my arms. How like this? The whole movie. Look, I'm, mm. I'll say it again. I'm. I will. I stand by this completely. This is an abhorrent film. But yeah, I will. I I believe that this is a great film. I would I would absolutely agree with you. Like, yeah. This is a film that film lovers should watch. Mm-hmm. This is not an easy film or nope. a comfortable film. It's from start to finish. One of the most amazing things about this is when you realize that this whole thing is shot on location in mm-hmm. Cornwall. Yeah. I mean, there's a few pickup shots in studio, but this is shot in Cornwall. Look up a picture of Cornwall on, on Google Image Search. That is one of the most beautiful countrysides you'll ever see. Not a single frame of this movie is beautiful or idyllic. Nope. The co- they manage to crush the colors down and desaturate the image. It feels wet, like and foggy, just the whole time. Just you feel it's dark. Yeah, there's a there's a beautiful line in one of the essays. Uh, I'm not gonna waste my time trying to find it, but it, the the gist of it is is this movie is not a steady climb into one man's reclamation of no. his own power. The movie instead 
walks you into a swamp of the bleeding and dying mm-hmm. or something akin to that, which is the whole movie feels heavy and oppressive but in the and weirdest, gray. It's, it's also strangely beautiful to look at. It is. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful Even in the, the way... interiors, when they're sitting on, the, on a couch and they're having a conference, the way... It's, I don't know. There's I have, a strange beauty to it. I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. The scene where... Um, He's ta- they're talking about where they where the Vietnam they're stuff comes Vietnam up, stuff, and she's yeah. like, "You had nowhere else and I'm to not hide." One of those people where they get right. where they get real with each mm-hmm. other, and she well she, well she basically just gets cruel. Yeah, and, and sh- but they end up sharing a corner of the couch, and they're in the corner of the frame, and the rest of the, right. the room is open. The, the again, anyway. shout out to John Coquillon, um, the cinematographer this, here. The sh- and and a lot of the shots too are Peck and Paw Peck and Paw's arrangement. This movie is. Beautiful. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And it this is another this is a movie I think David Fincher takes notes from films like this. Clear, this is yeah. not a movie that's afraid to show you like three quarters of the frame in darkness mm-hmm. and just let you look at the one thing that they Or empty boring space. Not but empty but not boring. Right, is the that, thing. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Using could be boring. using empty yeah. space to draw your interest to the one, one thing, thing that's, that's not empty. Yeah, yeah. God damn it. Yeah, that's fucking brilliant it is it's genius it's, it's like it's no genius. one's gonna watch the this drink cart no no they're, they're gonna like this happening two-thirds of the way over on the right in this very small corner well dustin that is there's thing that you're watching i mean some of the shots that come to mind that are uniquely gorgeous is dustin hoffman on the swing mm-hmm. because just the just the way that it's framed Dustin Hoffman on the swing, even though he's in the foreground, he's the biggest star in the whole yep. movie. You are not at all looking at Dustin Hoffman on the swing. He's like, he's this foreground thing. And then your eyes slide over to, I think it's Niles and his brother yes. walking by. Yeah. Or when Dustin Hoffman is, after he's fired all the men, is sitting on the hillside looking out over Cornwall. Yep. That scene is like three minutes long. It's and it's just there watching the guys not off down the hill, not saying anything. And then it's him like looking out over and we'll get into why it's important later. But he's looking out over the Cornish countryside at dusk and it's not beautiful sunset dusk. It's like rainy day, yep. dusk, gray, bullshit, windy weather. It's it's so you feel cold looking at it. It's it's bleak. And sad and poignant and somehow beautiful and you see the birds when he's watching because he's watching the birds and we, the, we'll find out the birds are a really important symbol but like just that like fluttering of pheasants through that gray dead countryside is mm-hmm. a lot of this movie haunts me and I can't explain why and that's part of why it's I want to do it do yeah. this thing we're going to do today because this movie stuck with me I'm so, I, uh, taking Danielle to work this morning she's like are you okay honey I'm like, yeah. It's not still that movie, is it? I'm like, like, it is. Yeah, it is. She's like, you're not allowed to watch any more rape movies. I'm like, that had nothing. That's it's nothing not to do even with the it. rape that gets that. you. The the rape is horrible. It is. This is really horrifying. But it's it's the whole the whole movie. movie. This movie really yeah, gets in your still, head. Well, when I dropped the Blu-ray off to you at at, at your work yesterday, you you, you even know it's like, oh yeah, I was well, like, yeah, look on your face, you just watched it, didn't you? You've got a whole look <laughs> I about knew. you. I knew when you came over, and you even smiled, and you're yep. like, you're like, hey man, how's Trying it going? To be jovial, be, yeah, be but me. dude, you were like, you were, sub- it's that subdued yeah. feeling. It's like someone, it's like someone turned your volume down, yeah. man, and you can see it. I I knew immediately when I was done watching this. Well, when I saw you, but when I was done watching this movie, and I like went upstairs, <laughs> it was CJ. 
looked at me was like, my condolences, sir. Like, he did this little, very sorry. Well, it, when you left, he's like, what did you guys watch? Right. And I was like, Straw Dog. He's like, I've never watched it. I'm like, first, definitely watch it, but don't have to work that day. Right, you exactly. Know? Like, yeah. Take a couple days off. It's, it's a masterpiece. So let's do it. Let's Doing go. It. We're going. Our, so right off the bat. You'll notice that my notes change as I start to realize that I'm not just watching like another movie. Like a movie movie, right. Yeah, because they get longer. I suddenly am like picking apart things in my own head and oh my God. Okay, so right off the bat, the opening of Straw Dogs is a clear black and white shot past a tombstone of a little boy sitting on top of a tombstone in the, in yep. the middle distance behind you. And... It's a high contrast black and white, so the sky is blown out. So there, it is completely white it, behind the kid. Yep. And then they do this beautiful thing where they pull the focus and blur the entire image to you the point of un, it's completely. Well, you see it at first, yes. and then they pull it back, so it's completely unrecognizable. You know what I thought it was at first? What? I thought it was a microscopic view of blood going through blood vessels because oh. of the way. Oh, when they when they're shooting when they're shooting the, the 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 tombstone and you're seeing the writing. No, no, no. Like right after that, when it, when it gets, it's all blurry, but you see. Oh, things! We, it's the kids it's running the kids around. Running yeah, yeah, around. yeah. The high shot, the, yeah, the, the bird's yeah, eye view the of high, the graveyard. But you, it's completely out of focus, and I'm like, I'm I'm trying to put together what I'm seeing, and I thought of all these old, like videos of my dad's a was a microbiologist, so yeah, get, like microscopes and like seeing how bacteria and amoebas and all this stuff will move through. It looks like an out of focus because you can't tell it. It almost looks like blood moving through. Like yeah, it's Look, a weird sort of you're, microbial. You're talking thing about the second shot. It's yeah. a, it, any. You know what's really what blew oh, my sorry, yeah. what really blew my mind about that is there's a there's a, a conceit in Hollywood the shot reverse. You know right. where you shoot one angle and then you shoot the reverse to show people like what the other and it creates the illusion that there's no camera because now you're seeing now you're where seeing you'd where been you seeing from. from right. Those first two blurred images with no subjects are shot reverse shot because it's a shot up from the graveyard past the boy up into the sky. Fuck. And the second blurred shot with no subject because it's just a blur is from the tower down into the cemetery. I only know that because we get those shots totally in focus and in color in a second when the kids are running around we see the tower in the background and then we cut all oh, right because does he does it again so it's a shot reverse shot and then our next oh my god dude it's we're gonna get into how problematic peck and Paw is as a person but he is undoubtedly one of the most visionary directors we've watched because it's okay that that blur you're right that that's a beautiful way to look at it too is the like microbes and like subatomic basically like you know like uh, like microbial life yeah on a slide especially because this movie is so concerned with with nature and the nature of man and the things inside it's just Mm -hmm. it's disorienting it's a disorienting way to start yes so our next shot we don't actually move off of this. We just bring it back into focus and make it color, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I believe that is correct. And it's a high, so it's a high shot from the top of a clock tower shooting down. And what we what we see is like this subdued. You, it's not. You want to say like idyllic English town, but it's not. It's like this weird subdued. It's a little... Some somehow just using color. Um, in one of the documentaries, I found out that the the film crew went through and removed all of the lines from the road, like the lane markers, to make it seem more rural. Oh wow! And they pulled down all like uh, signs and things, telephone lines, 
they they like took the telephone lines it down. It does feel like you're sort of back in time. Like this village hasn't been reached by anything yet. Yeah, but it, and it had. So they basically went in and like kicked this village back into like the dark ages, right. basically. But it they, is 1971, but these guys are still living in 1930s. Yeah, it and it the war just ended. It's like, it's a testament because when you, if you just tr- I can't even do it in my head. But I was just in Scotland for two weeks, and I know that places like this are, for the most part, like super. Even in shitty weather, they're mm-hmm. like really warm, and they feel like cozy somehow. Yeah. This village feels hostile yeah. from the second you see it. Some, that high angle, that aloof, high mm-hmm. bird's eye view down into the cemetery. We see the first thing we see, like for real, after the credit sequence, is children playing. In a graveyard. In a, in a cemetery. It's a graveyard because right. it's attached to a church. But oh, right, right, right. So it's children playing in a graveyard, like running around the graves, and you in the background you see this town, but there's no, there's barely people on the street. It's very little signs of life. Yeah, except it, for these. Yeah, it, uh, we talk about the man who shot Liberty Valance all the mm-hmm. time. The like new and old towns. This is neither. This is a weird like dead place. Yeah, it's living in the gray zone between the two. Yeah, it's it's not like a fun romping frontier town, but it's also not like not a that civilized, civilized. No, yeah, this is like a this is a living place, but it's a, it's the teeter totter when you're both balanced out and it feels weird. You're not sure which way it's going to tip. It's alive the way that a festering wound is alive. Right. It's it's really uncomfortable. And then the next thing we see, this movie is this movie's fucked up. I, that's a, those are terms yeah. we're going to use a lot. We cut to the children mm-hmm. and the first. Game we see them playing is they're torturing a dog. Yeah, that's our first game we see the kids playing, and then, like, come on, dude! The opening, your opening shot is children in a, playing in a graveyard, and your second shot is children in the graveyard torturing a, do- a dog, a stray dog. Yeah, so you're like, I felt really like, oh my god, we're like, because it's like children of the corn but you take all that fun Stephen Kingness out of it right like yeah. these are real kids and they're just fucking up a dog that's, because they're kids that's one thing that's one imp- important thing about Peck and Paw that I respect enormously um they did uh, that uh, Andre Leroux interview. He mm-hmm. talks about, he says, do you abhor all, or do you disdain all films that depict violence unrealistically? And Peckinpah goes into this huge tirade where he basically, he's, his basic answer is yes, and he explains why. And he's like, he's like, I hate that in movies, death is so easy. We talked about how, uh, when we were talking about Unforgiven, that, yeah. and Peckinpah is more known for his westerns than he is for Straw Dogs, but we talked about how they didn't want, they didn't want, vi- uh, they didn't want uh, murder to be an easy solution to a problem, right. where it's like, you know, well, how do you get rid of your problem? You just you pull just out your gun it. and kill a guy, because yeah, yeah. when you shoot him, he dies. Yeah. Peckinpah hated that. Um, so what he wanted to do was he wanted to show when people die, he's in, in Peck and Paw movies, people die hard and they die in pain. Very rarely. I was thinking about this, watching this movie and watching the documentaries. If you think back on the Westerns that you watch, like all the Westerns we watched mm-hmm. or even most action films, people get shot and they fall down. Right. But when you watch this movie, like even people who are grievously wounded and who are going to die, they are in they suffer. Agony. They yeah. really, truly suffer because the human body is a hard thing to kill. And when you watch a Peck and Paw film, you s- you see suffering. Yeah, and that's that's part of what makes this uncomfortable. 
But I can also appreciate it too because then you have to deal with it as the audience as something that has a real consequence. Where in movies like Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, it's like there's a body count of a thousand, but none of it has any weight to it. And none right. of it matters. We, you and I both love John Wick. Absolutely. John Wick. Ten thousand people die in that <laughs> John movie. Wick kill, I think he personally kills like fifty or yeah, sixty absolutely. people. Absolutely. But none of it has any no, weight no, to no, it. No, 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 not it's at all. all cartoon violence. Mm-hmm. Here, this even, might as well be fucking documentary footage. Yeah. Well, and even the even like you're like. Man that Oh he was so realistic When he slit that guy's throat The effect looked good But Mm -hmm. that actor's portrayal Of having his throat slit You want to look at a a movie That has the most realistic Throat slit I've ever seen It's Lawless It's when Tom Hardy Gets his throat cut Oh and he's Oh shit yes He pinches his neck down And he's holding it it He looks so afraid You never see fear On dying people In movies uh, Yeah it's like Oh my god My throat's been slit Tom Hardy's like He puts his hands up And he's like I gotta I gotta hold the blood and it's it's sickening to watch. It's horrifying. And yeah. every act of cruelty, every bit of psychological cruelty, mm-hmm. every bit of violence in this movie makes you sick to your stomach. Mm-hmm. And again, it sounds like like a criticism, but it's not. This is a this is praise. Exactly the this opposite. Is high praise for this movie. It was this movie is in a this movie is immense. Yes. In my head. Yes. Um. So I think it, this is important. The kids running. The kids are running in a clockwise circle, torturing the dog. Right. Mm-hmm. Our next shot is children running in a clockwise circle around a boy. That who's that boy, the boy that who's sitting on top right. of the on top of the tombstone, and the boy looks up to the clock tower, like up and away from this situation. Because he's being chastised and harassed. He, as well. Yeah, he's being bullied. Yeah. So the first two things we see are children bullying an animal, and, and this then- is. This is important. These are important ideas to establish. Yep, absolutely. Children as bullies, children bullying an animal, and children bullying a human in the same way that they bully an animal. Mm-hmm. Because there's no separation there at all. No, no, not at all. And the and it's it is really the 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 idea of kids of childishness. Of bullying, of infantilization, of dehumanization; mm-hmm. those concepts are going to be enormous later on. I can I can point to a couple spots, and I, I will as we go through the notes, Absolutely. where Amy is clearly aligned with a cat. Oh, very much so. There's there's some moments where Amy, like Amy and Cat, are basically like indelibly bonded metaphorically in the movie, which is really important. When Dustin Hoffman finds a dead cat as the opening to him being essentially bullied by these guys. I think it's also important to note that the climax of the film has a group of men running around, around. in circles and around his like house. And like children, too. They're even riding tricycles and... Yeah. And wearing false wearing noses. Fucking, yeah. Uh, his name is... I wrote his name down, but... um, It was hard to keep them apart for a little while, Oh, but. yeah, because they do... They do... Well, I mean, shit. They blend a little bit, but... <laughs> A l- but, yeah, yeah it's a little very, bit there's do. very much a parallel to the beginning of the film where it's children encircling something harmless or something that can't help. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's an amazing helpless. way to yeah. bookend the film too because mm-hmm. you start with children running in a circle and bullying. Everything a helpless. in the beginning of this movie is all foreshadow for the end of the movie, or it is the clear bookend. We yeah. we talked about we were jokingly with Lethal Weapon two being foreshadowing the movie because of all the little you're gonna see this again. Right. Ah, you're gonna see that all again. The Lethal Weapon movies, but you literally see everything in the first five minutes of this movie that will come back. 
at the end to bookend it. You see the the bear trap. You see children. Man trap. The man trap. Yeah, right. it's, I think that's also important. That's inter- yeah, it's, Be- a man, it's we'll not a bear it. trap. We'll it's get a into man it because they they describe its function. Mm-hmm. Oh God, we, the, uh, we're really quick going to have to get into maybe my least favorite Peck and Paw quote. We're almost there. Okay, so um. So that's important. Keep that in your head as we talk mm-hmm. about this. Children running around a helpless animal, and then children running around a helpless boy. Human. Because yeah. the end of the movie is men running around a man. Yes. I don't include Amy in that. For no, very no, because, well, she's very intentionally leaving herself out of it. She's. He keeps trying to, like, I love, need you to do this. And she's like, fuck off. We love the word liminal in this podcast. We actually haven't brought liminal up in Not a in while. a while, but Amy is a liminal character. She is li- she is the liminal she space. Is, she, like, Amy is a liminal space. Yeah. Absolutely. That is, that's a beaut- That's an amazing way to put that. Yeah. Because she's not just a character. She's also like a, in a weird, disgusting way, yes. a battleground. God, she is. That's so fucked up, but All she right. is. She is. She yeah. absolutely is. So our introduction to David and Amy is a a physical, visual, because, you know, like moving, uh, there's a beautiful line in one of the essays where, um, People go to you can't fault you can't fault a, mo- a motion picture for depicting. Fair enough. Which is beautiful. I think that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Str- the it's the opening line of Joshua Clover's essay, "Home Like No Place." Straw dogs turns on a woman's rape, and one can't blame pictures for depicting. Um, our introduction to David and Amy is a physical representation or a, per- a perfect depiction of the male gaze. You said before we started, and I stopped you, and you've stopped me repeatedly because we we promised ourselves we would not talk about the movie until we were on mic. Right, that was part of the whole deal for today. But you were saying that this conversation that we're having is is a it's particularly something 2018, and I stopped you before I got any further. But what did you mean? Because I feel like it's particularly interesting to be watching this film in 2018 in the in the in the. The sort of culture that we live in right now. Yeah. Where the first, like the, how do I want to say, it's like. In the, in the midst, I think, like the, I think we have to tackle everything head on. So I'll okay, say like, part of what makes this so uncomfortable is we're in the, the heart of the Me Too movement the, right now. Me Too and rape culture as far as like the, the sexualization of women and like moving away from the. From all of that, right? And the first thing that we see of Amy is a, the entire frame is her nipples and we, her breasts we, under a sweater. It's a, it's she's a not sh- wearing a bra and she's just walking down the street and it's right. clear that it's a, it's a tracking, a it's a follow shot, of, right? Of yeah, because it's it's Charlie, not Charlie. Who's the? Well, no, it's not actually a POV. Okay, it's Amy's walking towards us. Mm-hmm. Um, Amy's walking uh, toward the camera and she's looking around the town and it's not not worm's eye, but it's a low angle shot yeah. of just her breasts. Yeah. Because what we see is she's wearing a bra or no, she's wearing no a, she's wearing a sweater without a bra and you can clearly see her nipples through her mm-hmm. sweater. So we watch her breasts bounce and we stare at her nipples for a moment and then we pan up and we see Susan George, the actress who plays Amy. We see her like smiling and looking around at Happily the town. Just jauntily bouncing down the, yep. Uh, and there's a... In one of the interviews, this is really interesting. Um, Susan George and Peckinpah clashed repeatedly on this movie, and not surprised. Yeah, what she wanted to do, and it's it's really interesting to listen to her talk because what she originally wanted to do was Amy needs to be a sexual character mm-hmm. who uses her 
it's part of it's part of who her character was. Even in Susan George's conception of the character was that she would be flirty. Yes, and she she's would very flirtatious. She would be alluring and she would be seductive. Where she was, tr- she's like drawing men in playfully to mm-hmm. be like, oh, why don't she's she's trying to get everyone around her hot. And her idea was Susan George's idea right. was to do it with. A look in her eye and the flip of her hair But she didn't want like these sexualized costumes She wanted it to just be like a really subtle Performance which is interesting because it's A sweater that she's wearing it's not like a Low cut her breasts are well she was out. she wanted To wear a bra like oh okay she, But I was making yeah 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 right. it's Not the she's wearing a sweater it just happens the, You can see her nipples because, because she's not, wearing, not a wearing A bra so Peckinpah fought Her tooth and nail and was basically Like I want you to he's like I Need this costume I need your costumes to be essentially what he was getting at was he's like, I need them to be a little slutty. Mm -hmm. I need you to be overtly visually sexual. So like when the audience is and it's 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 amazing because it it essentially turns the audience into uh, it, it makes us it puts us in the shoes of the rapists. Yeah. In a really uncomfortable way. Uh, There's a word that I because it is very attractive. It is. She's very sexy. It is, but moment. like the idea is, Peckinpah didn't want you looking at how sexy this woman is being. Mm-hmm. He wanted you to focus looking on, at a lady's tits. Yep. Because there's nowhere else you can look. It's this. It's there. It's there. And you're kind of forced to look at it well, too, and, whether you want to or not. And it's also a great way to break down your ability to hold yourself at arm's length from the movie because you're not able to. He's it, not letting you. We, and, and yeah, that, but also the difference between, like, if you, see a, if you see a beautiful woman, right, and you are attracted to her as a woman, right, you're like, wow, that's, she's very interesting in her, like, she, her conversation. So, like, mm-hmm. if, you, if you find a woman attractive, there's nothing creepy or weird about that. Right. But if you, if your eyes go straight to her breasts and you can't, it, the whole scene, you're like, look at her nipples in her right. shirt. Later, when the other, when the, when the rapists are staring at her breasts and staring at her nipples, you're like, I did the same exact yeah. thing. But if you if you liked her but as this a, is, but this is the thing though. Yeah. If I'm seeing a woman and her whole body is available to to look at and appreciate, I have the choice as a person looking where I want my gaze to go. Right. What I want to look at and appreciate is it her eyes, her hair, yeah, her legs, whatever. I think Peckin- in this scene, I'm. We only have her breasts. I don't have the choice to look in this first else. scene. In this first scene. Right. Yes. I'm, I'm forced into being that person looking yeah. direct. This is the first opportunity I've had to meet this character, and the first thing I see are her breasts. But it continues throughout the rest of the film. No, I know that it does. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, it's. It, it takes a little bit of the responsibility away from me. Yeah. Because it, I'm being forced into. Into the I don't I, I don't have the choice to look anywhere else. Right. Were, it's filling the whole goddamn screen. But here's the. And here's the. The beautiful danger of what. Of what Peckinpah does with where he puts the camera and how he dresses Susan George. Mm-hmm. By the way, the end of that interview, the end of that yeah. statement, um, Susan George says like he was absolutely right. She's like, I was wrong. Subtlety because because that wouldn't work. Well, and because if the if the rapists rape Amy, and Amy. Like you've been attracted to Amy because she's an attractive woman, but not an overtly sexualized attractive okay. woman. You can do the mental gymnastics where you're like, well, I'm not like them because I like her as as a character. But when they go after her and there's 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 a lot of I mean, Dustin Hoffman even says it to mm-hmm. her at one point, which is really hard to hear where he's like, 
Well, you sh- maybe you should wear a bra if you don't expect people to be oh, staring yeah. at you he, and shit like that. He does the whole, like... You're asking for it. You're asking for it thing. Which yeah. just makes me feel like I have blood in my mouth. Right. And what Peckinpah manages to do by overtly sexualizing Amy in such a way that you often spend big chunks of the movie staring at her breasts. Oh, look, she took her shirt off. Let's all mm-hmm. stare. And then you realize... This is really fucked up. The scene where she pulls her sweater off. Yes. You're looking at her breasts and you're like, because wow. you are. You yeah, are. Absolutely. You're like, you're, you're given like, a license to. Exactly. You're, you're invited to. Mm-hmm. And it's like, because that's what Amy's doing is Dustin Hoffman says, make sure you draw the curtains. And she's she, like, no, I'm going to show them my boobs. She walks by where the garage, where the four men are working on the, the thing. And she stops by the window and stands there with her breasts on display for like five seconds. Mm-hmm. And then you so, and you're like, look at those. Man, you can't help it. You're yeah. like, look at her, look at her breasts. They're amazing. And then you know what Peckinpah does? He, he flips, flips the you camera. to the POV of the rapist, yep. and you realize what you're doing. Mm-hmm. He does that again and again, where he aligns, he catches you, he, he sets the trap, and then catches you it's in it. Fucking, you're like, God damn it! It's disgusting. I'm not that person. He Fuck drags you. the audience yeah. down into the shit with yep. him. It's so effective. It's so effective, and it makes you think. It really fucks and with your head, you, and it turns your fucking stomach. He's like, no, I'm. Mm-mm. And no. then I don't know if you did it too, but like when when he cuts to the reverse POV to, of through the window, and mm-hmm. you realize that you're looking through these men's eyes, I immediately I'm like, well, look at her face, and you like right. you look away. No, uh, yeah, you absolutely. do. Yeah, it's I start and, apologizing a little bit in my own head. That's like, and that's yeah. what that's what basically what Susan George says is she's like, I didn't realize that what when he edited what, what he, was he was gonna doing. what he's doing. He's like, I needed to be overtly sexualized so that the audience would objectify me right along with the rape. Mm-hmm. No, I've never seen a film that aligns its audience so strongly with the antagonists mm-hmm. or with the the most vile characters. Also, I have a note near the end of this. There are no heroes in this movie. Zero. There's no. There's, no, there's yeah. not even a single likable character in the whole film. Not one. Name me a likable mm, character. The bartender. The bartender who immediately tells all of the men who are going to go and lynch Henry Niles where he is, where to find him, and that the American has him. Not the bartender. No one, dude. The darts in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> Those pints of beer. Those pints of beer. Those pints of beer. Ah, uh, they look pretty good. Actually, they did. Those, yeah. are, but so the pints. But of buttons, in all yeah. honesty, no, there's not. There's no character. The kids are fucking horrible. The kids are fucking horrible. Dustin Hoffman is reprehensible. There's a there's a, a He's awesome a description of him. Piece of shit is oh my god. Do as you're told. Fuck you. There's a great there's a great line about Dustin Hoffman in one of the essays, which is in a basically they say like in a lesser actor's hands this movie wouldn't have worked because Dustin sure. Hoffman's character is simply the least dislikable guy on screen. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that he is Dustin Hoffman. Right, because that's I forget. I definitely forgave some of because he's he is. I'm. If this were Jack Nicholson, this movie would be doesn't unwatchable. Work. Yeah, but like he, even Dustin Hoffman can't save David that character, the character from he plays, being, from being just fucking yeah. utterly reprehensible. Everybody is reprehensible. So I I it's really really interesting when we first do see Amy and mm-hmm. we see that shot of her breasts, we get reaction shots. And they go in this order. We see the children in the graveyard stop playing and stare at her, which is important because the children in the graveyard are our bullies. Yes. Our metaphorical bullies. Then we cut to Charlie in the phone booth. Charlie will later be one of our grown-up bullies. Yeah. And he does the same thing the kids do. And then, just to really, like, hammer that nail one more time, 
we see old men stick their heads out of doors to stare at Amy as she Uh walks by. Mm -hmm. It is, it's the perfect depiction of what is called today the male gaze. Absolutely. And it's, oh, oh my God. Um, And I think it's really important too that she is walking down the street and the people who are walking with her are carrying the man trap. That, that is... Do we do we need to dig into the symbolism? I of don't that? think so. I think it's pretty obvious. Amy is a man trap. Now, this is this is important because this is where a lot of the problematic stuff of our conversation is going to mm-hmm. come in. <laughs> it's, um, it's going to happen sooner or later. We, let's just do it then. Yeah. In this movie, Amy is pretty explicitly blamed for her rape. Yep, she sure is. So. And I, uh, you talk for one second about the man trap. I'm going to find a peck and paw quote that's going to make the rest of today really hard. Uh, the man trap's huge. Uh. <laughs> oh, it, it's important that they they define it right it's like away. A bear trap only like three times the size. It's fucking. It's meant to catch poachers. Po- yeah, it's like a poacher trap. Which yeah. is this is. It has the claw teeth that kunk in the hole. Before I get to the oh wait, actually I found the peck and paw quote. It was one of the last things I had the stomach to write down. But um. I want to before we get there. The the they David asks, "What the hell?" You know, like, "What is that thing?" I, I'm Dustin Hoffman. Right. Actually, Dustin Hoffman. I always remember him as having like a, "Oh, hi, I'm Dustin Hoffman." He has the lowest. He's voice. got a very low voice. Yeah. Like the whole movie, he's just like, uh, "If they get in, my... we're dead." Do you right. understand? And it's just like you can't. I can't. I have a. I can do a low voice, but not Dustin Hoffman. That's insane. But when he asks what the man trap is, the 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 people carrying it are like, "Oh, it's a man trap, Mister David." Uh, uh, Sumner, Mr. Sumner, it's used for catching poachers. That's super important because let's see. It, because again, later, Amy is equated with animals, and Amy is explicitly referred to not re- not referred to. It's not explicit, no, but no, no, no. she is she's essentially Dustin Hoffman. She's treated as Dustin Hoffman's property. Yeah, and these other men are trying to come and poach, poach. his game, yeah. right? Dustin Hoffman she's owns this the house. She is the yeah. She's yeah. she's the doe. She's the animal. And these other men are coming in to try and poach game they have no right to. Right. That's why the man traps in the movie. That is the metaphor of the man trap. I don't need to tell anyone how deeply problematic that is. <laughs> so let me read you, Peck and Paws. And this is this is gonna be weird because you and I, I think as of right now, maybe mm-hmm. we'll be different by the end of this conversation. But you and I both. Like Sam Peckinpah as a director, he's a very controversial and sure. figure. But we both have a weird respect for him, correct? Correct. We're kind of in that boat. Yeah, absolutely. Here's Sam Peckinpah in an interview. I am convinced that in every society, murderers look for their victims. They need a prey, but there are also people who are consciously or unconsciously looking for their tormentors and who want to be raped or destroyed. These victims take pleasure in being assaulted and let themselves be sucked up by their tormentors. Sam Peckinpah in conversation. Interesting. Um, hmm. I'm highly uh, underqualified. Right. That's to, fine. To, no, no, no. Because we we read a statement at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, yeah. We can't qualify everything. We no, ha- I, sometimes have to just talk. No, I I'm with you. I I'm No, 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 because this this actually no, because this actually reminds me of if I get it wrong, so when I lived in Baltimore, I lived with um a gentleman who's going through the master's program at Johns Hopkins University in political science, right? And so Nietzsche was one of his big 
um, that he would read a, a lot of like philosophy and shit like that. So this is not an old, this is not a new idea that right. he is saying. Okay. He is just, he's, he's formatting in a different way. They're, they're, Peck and Paul? Peck and Paul, right. Yeah. Is this, you're talking about the Freudian like the death sheep, wish? Or it's more that a little bit and like the, their sheep and their, their, and then their hunters, their hawks and their sheep. Sometimes a sheep want to be a hawk, but you can never be a hawk because you're either a sheep or a hawk. Right? Is the, these so are philosophical whole, ideas? Philosophical ideas, okay. right? So this is nothing new. Mm. I think that it stings more now because we don't want... The, these are ideas that have been around for a long time. Well, it's nothing new. Mm. But the fact that where we live now and everyone's a little more hyper aware of... of victimization. Victimization and things yeah. like that where, where we don't want to hear that. Right. We, we don't want to fucking read that sentence. We don't want to hear that sentence. Doesn't make it any less true yeah i it sucks this the statement right the state the statement is really i'm i i think i no i don't think i always, it makes I, me, I mean i feel fucking horrible saying that but it's I know. not i am gonna i don't think i know i do agree with what you just said as well peckinpah says things in a really raw way in a raw way where you're like hey hold fuck but that's yeah. totally true i do know people Mm-hmm. Like that. Who, Why do you think dominatrix things exist? In a, I want you to cut the circulation off of my balls and smack my dick. As my, I want you to make me bleed. I want you to pour hot wax on me. Yeah, hurt me. Hurt. I, I want you to play rapist tonight. Yeah, but there's an important distinction to be made. There is consent there. Consent, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Look, there. as far in the realms of... Do you want right, to jump on right. over here? Uh, in the realms of like... You know, in the in the realm of like uh, like sexual experiences, mm-hmm. w- what differentiates somebody like all the BDSM stuff, all the dominatrix right. stuff, is that element of consent. Sure. But I'll go a step further. There are I genuinely know people who those who seem to I I know look this is fucked up. This conversation is going to be fucked up because this movie raises the hardest possible topics of conversation. Mm-hmm. I know people who put themselves in situations where being abused or being hurt or victimized or is utterly unavoidable and it seems to be a pattern of behavior that's a thing that's and there's uh, i don't know how old those philosophical concepts of hawks and sheep are Mm -hmm. but there's a there's a freudian concept called the death wish right freud writes about it extensively about There is a human urge towards self-destruction. It's why uh, in his in his research is it uh, like some adaptations of his research explain that that's why smoking doesn't ever go away. Right. Like (laughs) you know that you're doing yourself physical harm and it's killing you. Even yeah. Even when even when the 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 body of evidence is colossal and overwhelming, like this will drinking and drugs is anything and not just kill you, but kill you. Over a long period of time, very painfully, and force you to pay for it, mm-hmm. and people still smoke. Yeah, that's he talks about like suicidal impulse. There's that, um, you know, there's there's stories, and this is this is kind of getting into like stranger territory. But there's the stories of people who meet online who want to be murdered, and they hook up with people who want to kill someone. Mm-hmm. That's the world. That's a real thing that happens in the real world that we live in. Hey. Uh, newsflash people are kind of fucked up max yeah no i i I know but like so to put it in the context of the film 
because Peckinpah was talking about straw dogs when he talked about this because right. they the guy the interviewer had a problem with Amy and he was saying basically well I'm saying right now that Amy is a perfect representation of that idea of someone looking for an abuser someone mm-hmm. looking for a predator yeah to prey on them it's clear in her reaction to well, when we get to the rape, right. it'll be very obvious. But there's a scene later when the house is under being assaulted, mm-hmm. and Dan, uh, Dustin Hoffman's basically like, "Amy, I've got this. I will keep them out. I will keep them safe." And she's trying to. They want. They want to get in to get Niles, a pedophile right. who's yeah. just killed a girl. And Dustin Hoffman is protecting. I'd like to point out again, a pedophile who's just killed a girl. Right. And Amy wants to give him to the mob. And Dustin Hoffman. Give it to him. Fuck him. Yeah. And Dustin Hoffman's like, no, absolutely not. She's like, no, I don't fucking care. Right. So there's a moment where Charlie, her rapist, sticks his head in the window and he's like, Amy, give us Niles. I'll I'll make sure no one hurts you. I'll keep you safe. And Amy immediately is like, okay. I'll come with you. That's fine. Perfect. Good. And there's two other moments later in the movie, and we will touch on them again probably in like the second part of this two-part, three-part episode, whatever, where when she's getting assaulted upstairs by Norman at the very end, when Norman's trying to rape her again, which would be the second time that Norman raped her, Mm -hmm. she, she calls for David, and then she calls for Charlie. Yeah. Charlie is her first rapist. Her first rapist, yeah, and she calls for him for help. I'm not sure what order it is, but she screams her husband's name, and then I'm pretty sure she screams for Charlie. Then, after that whole situation is resolved, I won't spoil it because I want to get to it when we get to it, but after that whole situation, Charlie dies. Uh, By the way, how about this? Spoilers. Everybody but David and Amy die. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and Niles. And Niles lives too. But dude, this movie, the end of this movie is a fucking bloodbath. Yes, it sure is. So at the end of the movie, when David, we'll talk about the specifics of how he dies, Mm -hmm. but when David kills Charlie, who raped Amy, who has burned their house, who's basically like one of her tormentors, David goes to kill Charlie and she screams, Charlie, no. Yep. He's basically the last impediment, the last person attacking them, the last person causing them pain. But and her, when, immediate reaction, her immediate reaction her, yeah. is to call out, no, Charlie. So the, take, take all that as you will. But I, I put all that forward as evidence of Amy as a character who is seeking a predator, who's seeking someone to torment her, who for whom that is a, a natural state of being. I think I've talked about this before, maybe on the show, definitely to you and, and to Bert, obviously. When I was in high school, and this is this is this is relevant. Sure. When I was in high school, I was I suffered really severe depression for a really long time. It would come in like fits and starts sure. where I'd get you know you'd be depressed for a couple weeks, but there was a period where I was depressed for probably like eight months, like really black depression, super depressed. And then I got like you know it passed. Yep. And things got better. And I remember in the aftermath of the that depression in the upswing when i was feeling good when i was feeling happy i missed being depressed because i had been in that state of depression for so long it becomes like an old friend in a way or a, the way that i always think of it in my own head cuz that's i know that's a really strange thing and that's a part of my life that i examine often because that's fucking weird mm-hmm. i always thought of depression as like this known, it was like a known quantity. It was like, it was like a cold blanket. Mm-hmm. It was it was like a blanket. I thought of my depression like a blanket. And when I was happy again and like out in the world, I was. Li- I, it's the strangest thing because I was happy, 
And that was what was making me unhappy because I missed that steady comfort of right. that day in, day out, nonstop depression. If, if a human being is capable of missing eight months of utter misery, occasionally like borderline suicidal misery, then I don't think it's too much of a stretch to imagine people who want to be victimized or who right. miss physical violence or who miss the the when i say the comfort of abuse mm -hmm. if that's all you've known for a really long time the um do you think that's some sort of other thing going on though where, where it's you trying to protect yourself from having to deal with the trauma of all of that so you're you're making almost like me the personally or the no no abuse. no like it, with 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 this or the type of people that would like some sort of like Helsinki syndrome going on there where you're you're beginning Maybe. to like well the, because it's the only way that you can realistically deal with the horror and the trauma of it is to to flip that switch a little bit to turn it into pleasure otherwise it's too bearable to even live with or consider yeah maybe there's there's. Yeah, that could definitely be yeah. it. And I think there's also something to be said. There's so much. There's so much of a. Yeah. Human human beings are in immensely in flux too, and complicated. Is, yeah. Complicated. And not not everything we do or think or feel makes sense, nor does it have to. Mm. And I think that's this is an important this is an important criticism of the 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 time we're living in right now. I think that there is a massive tendency to over homogenize and oversimplify and over-moralize about people and modern human behavior. Mm -hmm. To say that, like, to say that there are not people who get trapped in cycles of abuse and seek sure. out abuse and violence, to, to, de to deny that and to say that that's not true devalues those people's experience. Sure. Because I'm not, now I'm not saying that that's healthy or good, no, no, but that is not. a legitimate thing that people are going through. And to say that that's just not real right is in a, in a sense as dehumanizing as the cycles that those people are trapped in mm -hmm. you can't just you can't deny that and say that everyone is a strong like everyone's a strong individual warrior who can stand up for themselves no that's that's absolutely, absolutely not, not true. true like there are people who are are trapped in those things now there's uh there's two things that come to mind again one uh during there's, I think it's British intelligence. They did training against, uh, for how to be, if you ever got captured and were being interrogated, they right. taught this to like British SAS and stuff. There's a point when you're being tortured where you basically, your brain breaks because you're in so much And you will pain. say anything. No, it's. Or is it the other? Oh. You start to take, it becomes pleasurable because your, your nervous system basically is fried by an overload of, of pain. So the pain that's being inflicted on you starts to feel like pleasure. This was from World War II. And they trained, what they were training the SAS people to do was to s pretend to still be in pain because if the, it was primarily the Japanese torturers in World War II mm -hmm. they were training them against. If they saw you start to enjoy it, they'd take, start taking care of you and like heal you up. And if you can just push through that barrier and keep pretending you're in pain, eventually you die. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So they're yeah. like, look, you don't want to keep being tortured. So just even it'll at a certain point, it will start to feel good. That's going to be weird. Keep pretending it hurts because you're, you're pretty close to death at that point. Right. You, you want to be pushed through the, the pleasure until you die. That is how you, that is a human, that is something a human brain does. That's important to remember when you're talking about right. things like people who seek <laughs> out snap. optimization. Yeah. Absolutely. And then there's the statistics. It's horrible that you had to get to that place. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. 
but it's a defense mechanism mm-hmm. in a way. Now, there's a statistic that I learned in college, which I didn't believe. I thought it was like something my professor was saying just to fuck with us. Right. But, you know, that, that battered and abused women typically leave their their partner, their uh, spouse, husband, mm-hmm. whatever, seven times before they finally leave for good. Or they die. Or they, or they die. die, right. Yeah. That's Fuck. seven times. So, again, what Peckinpah said, I'm, I'm glad we went down this avenue because what Peckinpah said would be very easy to just categorically condemn. Mm-hmm. But you, if you really look at it, and if you're tr- really honest, it does not make it any less fucked up. And we're not saying that it makes anything that's happening to these people okay. Absolutely, <laughs> that's Absolutely. a clear distinction. To yeah, make. of course. Not this apologizing is, for no, no, any no, no. Of that. This is like, a horrible, horrifying, fucked up mm-hmm. thing that happens. And if we could prevent it all from ever happening ever, I would absolutely do that. But it is something that happens. Yep. And that, I, I. Ooh, there's I know. there's a, a couple that I know, like a couple. You know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. There's a couple that I know who I would I I cannot fathom why they're together. F- they fight more constantly, more violently. Like I'm talking pots and pans thrown, plates, dishes shattered. He's like the it's a man and a woman they're constantly like you fucking bitch fuck you you're such a piece of shit no wonder you don't have any friends girls constantly like well you're a faggot and fuck you and right. i can't believe we live together and they've been together for six years now and it has been that way the whole time and again yeah i'm not saying like and that's good and healthy and normal right. that's no, disturbing no. as shit yep but that that's something that that's something that I mean. That's something they live with, absolutely. But that's yeah. some. That's a part of my life, man. And that's kind of fucked up. You are part of that scenario. You aren't engaged with it, right? Right? But right? You but it's it's affected by it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's th- this movie really dredges some mm-hmm. really. Oh, it stir. It stirs up the muck from the bottom of the it pond. It does. Absolutely does. Um, speaking of the movie, so let's jump into. Uh, remember, okay, so we were basically at the bit where they put the man trap in the back of the car. Yeah. And David has been introduced to Charlie. And she is like, oh, Charlie's an old friend. Basically, the subtext is very, it's on the surface. It's like, I used to date this guy. Yeah. So, David, you can, there's a, Dustin Hoffman's performance, we'll talk about this at length, but Dustin Hoffman's performance as, as David, everybody in this movie is really good. Mm-hmm. Really good. Yeah. This is, you almost want to find some shitty acting that you can latch on to. There isn't, though. There isn't. No. Everyone does it so well. And based on the documentaries we watched, I think a lot of that is Peckinpah forcing genuine emotion. Oh, he's like manipulating people into it. Yeah. <laughs> Holy yeah, fuck. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a cool moment here where David and Charlie shake hands. And then Amy's like, all right, let's go, David. And David's like, not yet. Mm-mm. And he's like, I'm gonna go get some cigarettes. And you get the sense that he doesn't really need cigarettes. No, he leaves to let them to... That's a, Is that how you read it? How did you read it? No, let's talk. Let's talk. I don't... You know, because it's just very confusing. Like, I'm not sure why he left them there. Okay. Because he didn't... He was like, yeah, I'm going to... Well, he starts walking. Yeah. She's like, where are you going? He's like, oh, I'm going to go get cigarettes. The other thing we should say is Carl took... Intentionally, Carl mm-hmm. took no notes. Right. And I took meticulous notes yeah. so that we could... So that I I can drop facts and right. you can pontificate. Yeah. Um, personally, I think throughout the movie you see a lot of 
you see a lot of subtle things that are displays of power and dominance. Mm-hmm. Not always. Yes, there's a lot of physical like dominance. Like, I can leave her with you. It's all fine. She's mine. That's not what know. I get. I mm. get... I don't think that he's saying like, oh, I, I think part of it is like, sure, I trust my wife. But I think a bigger part is Amy. I'm going to test her. No, Amy says, come on, let's go. And he's not about to let his wife dictate his. Behavior. Oh, fuck. OK, because we see this a couple times that he does this with Amy, where she'll tell him to do something or he'll tell her to do something. And the other one is like, fuck you. It's like, no, it's a really subtle in the beginning. It's really yeah. subtle where it's like, hey, please don't do that. And the other person does it anyway. Right. Just to be it's shitty. It's a little childish, too. Very childish. Yeah. Childish is a great word throughout this whole movie. So Dustin Hoffman's like, no, I'm going to go get some cigarettes. I'll be back. And he leaves. And basically. Because she wants to go. And yeah. and there's, you got to remember that Charlie's in the scene, too. So that is David signaling to Charlie, my wife doesn't own me. It's yeah. It's David peacocking. He's like, I'm a man. I'm a man too. We see basically David get emasculated for 90% of this movie, but there's a couple times where he attempts to be like, I'm a guy. Right. I think, I think Peckinpah has a really specific idea of what a man is. Oh yeah. Very much so. A man is this territorial, territorial is a a really Mm -hmm. important part of it. He's a territorial, capable violent stoic thing purse thing that doesn't run its mouth but does it you know doesn't Mm -hmm. talk about it just does it that's peck and pause that's peck and pause view of a man and it's very troubling especially when you get to the end of the movie and you realize that in a way david has become peck and pause a quintessential man Mm -hmm. it's really strange so he he goes david goes to get his cigarettes he goes into the bar and uh, I think it's really interesting that when he gets in, he can't get anyone's attention to get him smokes. No, he sure Hey, can't. I'll get two packs of cigarettes. Crickets. Nothing yeah. happens. <laughs> and then some other guy behind him, like, throwing darts, orders a drink. Tom, that's Charlie's uncle, the, the main drunk. The main drunk. The big, the, the big yep. drunk guy. Yep. He orders another drink, and he's fucking hammered. Yes. So he, he gets his... And it's like 11 o'clock in the morning. morning he's yeah. just fucking hammered. So he gets his pint... And he's drinking and David's like, I'll, uh, I'm just going to get two packs and any American cigarettes. The bartender doesn't give him the time of day. David is utterly powerless and that's super important. David is, oh, um, by the way, when David walks into the, the bar, did you, you didn't see this It's a different documentary. Oh, I did read about it. You read about it? He had no pants on. Yeah. So Dustin Hoffman walked into the bar and Peckinpah wasn't getting the reaction shots that he wanted. Every, with this Yankee coming yeah, into the, the bar. Yeah, the Yankee's coming yeah. and everyone's supposed to look at him like, what, what the, the fuck? fuck? Yeah. But he wasn't getting it. So Dustin Hoffman took his pants off and then came into the bar and everyone was like, what is his? Yeah, that's what, what they use. They use that. They shot. use the they use the reaction, the reaction shot of shot. Dustin Hoffman coming in with no pants, <laughs> and everyone's like, "What the fuck? The hell is wrong? With Why you? would you do this?" But that's the genius of of that. I yeah. mean, he's not the only director to do things no, like no, that, no. but but he does that. Like, I love stories like that from from me sets. too. Yeah, there's like, a from, lot from of films. There's like, a lot of stories from set that. This film in particular, yeah, where like where Peckinpah so is just you, he reads as like this 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 genius, this this like damaged genius auteur. Yeah, he's amazing. Peckinpah is amazing as a person, and then you hear that, that other, shit, other shit, and you're, and you're like, like, oh, oh, we'll get into it. But there's a lot of 
bad stuff about mm-hmm. that you hear from Peckinpah and people who worked with but him. But every single person that was interviewed loves him. Yeah, including the ones who including told bad stories about him. Including the ones that were like abu- abused by him, but abused by him. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, there's a couple people, one woman in particular, I forget her name, she was his assistant for a long time. She tells horrific stories about abuse on at the hands of Sam Peckinpah and so, like, openly loves Sam yeah. Peckinpah. A lot of the actors who were like treated like shit on set, like, who were tormented, yeah. <laughs> dragged out of bed by like drunk, like blackout drunk, bleary eyed Sam Peckinpah and like drive around fearing for their lives, had machetes thrown at them, things right. like that. They all loved that man. Mm-hmm. He's a very. Chris Christopherson writing songs about him. Like, beautiful songs. Yeah. He's a very odd character. Yeah. Um, so when he gets in there, the, the uncle gets cut off. Yeah, he's like, like, you had too much to drink today, mate. <laughs> you're too, you're too drunk. You were really fucked you're up. You're too drunk. I'm not pouring you another beer. So he's like, how about I go get another beer? Right. And he smashes his beer glass. He assaults the bartender. Uh, his Charlie. It turns out we find out that Charlie is his nephew. Yeah. So the the girl or the man that Amy dated in the past is Tom's Tom's nephew. Nephew. Yes. He punches Charlie. Shoves some other guy to the ground. He attacks the bartender and then pours himself a pint behind the bar. Yep. Right? So, this has all happened. No one has even acknowledged that Dustin Hoffman is present. Oh, no. Yeah. And I also get the sense that this happens a lot in this yeah, bar. Yeah. He, like, like, he's, he, like, shattered glasses mm-hmm. and... Oh, uh, earlier, the, we forgot, like, the what kicked it all off. The bartender goes to take Tom's oh, glass, glass away, away. And Tom grabs his hand on the glass and squeezes it. Until the glass shatters in the bartender's hand. That's how that starts. Mm-hmm. That's really Pretty brutal. fucked up, yeah. So the bartender's like, hand is bleeding, and he's like, you're done. You're done. Get out of here. And that's when this all yep. hell breaks loose. He forces his way behind the bar, and guess what? He's just been obscenely violent, and he gets what he wants. We're going to see that again and again and again in this movie. I don't know what I want. I'm going to be violent and I get what I want. Yeah. yeah. There's never any like, I'm going to be violent and I fail because the forces of good stop me. No. Nope. He beats up three guys, shatters And the magistrate glasses. is there in the bar. The major. I was just about to get to the yeah. major. <laughs> or the major. The, he's like basically, yeah, he's a magistrate. He's like, yeah. he's like the judge, the local judge. Because he, he says like, if you don't get out of here, you'll be up on charges in exactly. front of me again. But Tom wreaks holy fucking havoc, beats the shit out of a bunch of people and at the end is rewarded with another pint of beer. Mm-hmm. He took what he, he wanted something. He took what he wanted. It's, and it's the movie doesn't condone it, nope. but the movie doesn't condemn it either. No, it's, it just is. It just is. It's it's insane. Which I think is part of the genius of the whole. Th- I agree. Thing. I agree. Is this is a movie. There's not condoning no or condemning, but there's no yeah. There's no judgment any from a to, across the board. Across the board. Not a single. Nothing is condemned. That's left but on, nothing is left on me. That's left on you. Yeah. Whoever watches is left the, on the burden. You fucking oh my God. deal with it. Yeah, the burden of morality. And I have been for fucking. Two days now. Two days now. The burden of this movie rests entirely on the audience, mm-hmm. and it's that's that's hard. That's really tricky to shoot stuff as extreme as this without man without also shooting your opinion into mm-hmm. the scene. There's but there isn't one. There is this zero. Is, it's just it's just presented to you. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. I cannot stress how 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 hard that is to watch yes. too. Because a lot of times in movies, I love Black Panther. Mm-hmm. But when you're watching Black Panther, you know what you're what you're supposed to feel at every no, moment from start to finish. You are informed from the beginning of the and every five minutes. This is how you feel. This yeah, is how you feel. Almost. This is, this is sad now. 
Now you feel guilty. No, you don't. Almost. You feel, yeah. And and you can think you can take any modern movie. Almost every beat. It's like what he did was wrong. Here is why it's wrong. Right. Yep, exactly. And a lot of times it's in the score where it's like you the lift or you get the yeah. Oh, this is a bad guy. Yep. Or like dun, 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 dun. oh, these people love each other. Yeah, exactly. You know what this movie does with its score? They blast bagpipes at you while you're watching a massacre, Holy and you're like, I don't know what to fuck. fucking think. And it's not from the score. Fucking David turns the bagpipe music on. David goes and puts on a record of bagpipe music at full blast. And it doesn't just last like 30 seconds. You're listening to bagpipe for like 10 minutes, dude. It's like it's like someone dropped a flashbang in the living room and you're like, I don't I don't don't know know what the fuck my brain is supposed (laughs) to be doing at all. I want haggis. I don't if you I'm, I'm really actually interested to see the remake of this because. I am too, but I'm also like, fuck. I There's no don't way. Want to. There's, There's no, no way, way it's going to be as good as this Mm-mm. movie. But I'm wondering because, like, you if, do have Stellan Skarsgård. That's true. Look, it's and James Marston. Yeah, he's actually got dude, some, no slouch. That's yeah. got a good cast. Yeah. But I'm thinking, like, if you scored that scene, it would wreck that scene. If it had like a yeah, if you put like a Williams score we're, under we're it, we're coming in. We're gonna fuck you up, David. And it was like. Elfman all banging hammers and shit or whatever yeah give me you know what give me the score to uh there will be blood we'll just rack that oh my god actually that'd be it would be cool but but if you scored it you'd align with david against his attackers right because this is his hero music coming in here's your hero music here's your spooky music but instead because it does align you doesn't it it does it absolutely it gives you your hero and your villains when it's fucking bagpipe music it just gives you and it's so loud yeah. dude I listen well, he to even this. cranks it too he does i listen to this with my like my big badass speakers turned way up and when that bagpipe hit me i like i panicked i yeah. was like i gotta turn this down yep i do i got and it yeah. doesn't get that much louder but i was like i, I can't i can't There's i just gotta go about down the sound of a bagpipe too it's horrifying yeah well um, that's meant to be yeah, kind but, of but yeah well, what you, oh my people too i'm a cunningham man what do you want <laughs> <laughs> So wait, no, finish your point about the bagpipe. Don't hold it back. What were you going to say? Oh, no, because aren't they, they were meant to sort of instill fear. Yeah, yeah, they, they were, there's a, there's an awesome re, uh, recounting from a, a soldier in like World War One. Like hearing the sounds before. of the bagpipes, like, oh, we're yeah, fucked. Everyone we got, everyone so was immediately terrified. Yeah. And they, they talk about hearing the bagpipes. And it's weird because like, I'm not a soldier, right? Right. I'm like the most pacifist motherfucker right. you'll ever meet. But when I hear bagpipes, I get this weird swelling of like it's pride. it's fear it's fear from the people that are hearing it but like go time from the people playing it right like it's, exactly yeah when i hear bagpipe music uh, it's it's strange and this will sound hyperbolic but i mean this with a hundred with 100 percent of my heart when i hear like really amazing bagpipe music i feel like i am i am ready to die for what i believe right in. yeah it's you're 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 like i would yeah, I'll follow that into fucking battle. Mm-hmm. There's something about it, man. And then if you're hearing it and you're on the other side, you're like, I just might die today. If you know it's not for you, yeah, you get spooked. Yeah, if you know it's yeah. not for you, which is why I think this scene was was so strange because I don't know who the music. I don't know for. who it is for either. Right. So I'm it's like, just Aah. I know who it's not. You know who it's not for? It's not for the audience. Sure isn't because you sit there in terror the whole time. Yep. I've never heard. Like and it's not like it's creepy bagpipes. It's just like bagpipes playing a song. You know what's strange also is when you don't have a dog in the fight. It's like I don't know who I'm rooting for. I don't know like they can just fucking kill each other. I don't. That's important. Peckinpah yeah. doesn't let. Peckinpah never gives you 
a dog. No, sure Everyone doesn't. Everyone in the movie is a dog, but anytime you try and pick one, it it's bites just straw you, dogs. dude. Fuck, yeah. Oh, wow. It mm, is. There it is. Yeah, none, there's no real dogs in the movie. They're all straw dogs. Wow, Carl. There it is. Well, thanks, everyone. All thanks, right. Guys. Enjoy we us got, next week for Sleepaway Camp We got Sleepaway two and a half three. minutes in. Um, so back to the bar. I want to get back into the bar. Mm-hmm. When he goes back there, the the major is like, all right, I think you've done enough. And you're like, wait, you're the judge? Why didn't you stop him from... Why didn't you stop this shit when the bartender was... When he shattered was, the glass. Yeah. When he assaulted, finger. Or, yeah, yeah. He assaulted the bartender. Yeah. He didn't stop the fight. You didn't stop him shattering a glass. You didn't stop him pouring another beer. The, the magistrate just like calmly gets up and he's like, All right, that's enough. Okay, Tom. You'd best get on home. That's it. Yep. It's like, have you up on charges again? So I think that I, I did some uh, I did some old British money math because uh, they, call it, they call it old money and new money in England. Mm-hmm. And this movie, all the money discussed is in old money, oh, right. which is really complicated and hard to understand. New money's fairly easy. Right. But uh so basically what happens is the bar he he stands up and he's like, All right, I'll go. Since he he doesn't he didn't even want the beer. He, he wanted, wanted to show, to show that, he that he could, could get, get the beer. Mm-hmm. That's super important. Yes. That's a really I'm glad you picked up on it too. Oh yeah, his, his, he didn't want the fucking yeah, beer. Yeah, because proving as, that he can get it. Yeah, because he could have slammed the rest of it. And he then didn't. like I'm out. Yeah, he did, he's he's like I don't need this because look, too drunk. Because look, I got it. Yeah, that's all he wanted was to. Sh- and then the major's like, get out of here. And he goes, hold on, hold on. All right, barman, how much do I owe you? He's gonna settle up with this dude right now. Yeah. And so the guy, the guy behind the bar, just to keep up appearances, because you get this weird energy, like Tom, Tom the big drunk guy. Mm-hmm. Tom has just kicked a bunch of dogs. They are everyone because the why doesn't the barman go get the fuck out of my pub? You're not allowed he's back powerless here. Powerless to do anything. Yeah, he's about like it. whimpering behind the bar and he's not making eye contact. Because he is related to every fucking buddy in the. I mean, there's blood there. Yeah, there's like lifelong. But oh my god, there's no. You see who dominates in the scene? It's yeah, Tom. this is my big dick. Go and fuck off. This scene's really important Jesus. because we're gonna see Dustin Hoffman use this tactic against Tom later, right. and it's fucking awesome. But anyway, Tom, go, the barman goes, let's. Let's call it a quid. A quid is 20 shillings. Okay. What is a shilling? A shilling is 12 pence. I did some Holy research, fuck. bro. So what's, what's that in American dollars? Don't worry about it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> a quid. I didn't go that far. A quid is 20 shillings. So he tells, he tells Tom, uh, well, and it's important too, because Tom says, how about this? Or before he attacks him, he says, I'll buy the American cigarettes, which means they're not, they didn't not hear him. They're ignoring they, they him. They're ignoring him. So he's like, I'll yeah. buy the American cigarettes. And then when he fucks, everything gets fucked up, he's like, all right, how much do I owe you for my drinks? Uh, I'll pay for the American cigarettes. I'll buy you a new glass and I'll even pay for a little bit of plaster to be put on your hand where he cut him. Yeah. He's like, what do I owe you? And he goes, call it a quid. Right? Quid is 20 shillings. Tom says, why don't we call it 30 bob? 30 bob is 30 shillings. So this is super important. He removes agency and power from the barman by overpaying him. The barman says... He's doing the same thing by buying the the American cigarettes. He's got power over him too. He Mm -hmm. says, says, uh, basically the barman says, pay me this much. And Tom says... 
I'm going to pay you more than that. Yeah. Because then who's making the decision? It's Tom. Tom. Who's got the power? Tom. (laughs) Exactly. That this movie is amazing, dude. It's so fucking good. So, um, yeah. So he sets the terms of the transaction and bails. Mm -hmm. Right. And then David comes and, how much do I owe you for these cigarettes? Well, he knows how much because he puts the money he puts on the money. Bar. That's right, yeah. He like sets the money down and the barman goes, oh, these are already paid for. And David looks at him and goes, now they are. Yep. And walks out. I love that. I love that too, man. Um, but, because, I mean, actually, my, you can see the shift in my note where I said, David displays kindness to the barman and moral fortitude by paying for his own smokes. He refuses to be bought by Tom. Exactly. But this is how bleak and impressive this movie is. I said, David buying his own cigarettes has the feel of a child paying for their own candy bar with imaginary money after their father's already paid. Right. The transaction's done. It's done. Those you... are those smokes are paid for. Yep. This is a hollow gesture. Even trying to reclaim his own agency, it's, David yeah. is just further emasculating yeah. himself. It's brutal. Yo, dude. I bought my money. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly it. It's like, Daddy, can I have 50 cents for the candy bar? And then you get the little kid gives yep. the thing the 50 cents. Mm-hmm. It is as sad as that. Yep. Dude. It's gnarly. So the next thing that happens is David goes back to the car and he's basically just like, I just handled a bar fight. He's really pleased with himself. Oh, yeah. Amy takes off. I was wondering at first if that was intentional, like having Amy drive. And this, here we go. Uh, problematic territory Here we go Okay I don't know about you But I'm married And I do most of the driving I'm hoping to be married In about a year <laughs> Yeah I don't know Carl are you married? Not yet no <laughs> But no yeah I, I do know about you You're gonna be married yeah. But you've been in a long term relationship I, I have been married in the past Yes Yes In my marriage I do most of the driving And that's actually Usually Bird will be like Do you wanna drive? And it's It's right. just a thing I do most of the driving Bird is lazy, but I do most of the driving. I know that in my parents' marriage, which I obviously grew up watching, mm-hmm. my dad did most of the yeah, driving. Yeah, my dad as well. Okay. Now, in your, has this been your experience personally as well that you do most of the driving? Well, or? it's because she she doesn't have a car right now. It's like she doesn't. We would share the driving. She hates driving my Suburban because she's terrified of it. Right. Okay. Because of the steering's all fucked up. It's a 97, but it's only because. <laughs> it's like, it's okay, only because you're she's. Disqualified I'm for disqualified for having a because. <laughs> Yeah, no, but I'm just. But, yeah. but I mean, I don't know what we would probably share it. She, when she had a car, yeah, we sometimes she would drive us down to Big Rapids. Sometimes I would drive us. So it was actually sort of a shared thing. Okay, so I'll so I will also say, and maybe this is maybe just my family because mm-hmm. my example so far has been with me and my, my ex-wife. I, I drove all the time, almost exclusively. My brother, uh, he used to drive when I lived with him. I noticed that my brother used to drive his in in his girlfriend's car. He would drive he him would and drive. his girlfriend around, yeah. like. Yeah, when he was with Bridget, I keep shouting to someone that no one else can hear. But um, yeah, Bridget used to all the time toss him the keys and Sam would drive. So this just purely observationally, I'm not making any generalizations about men and women, but purely observationally, a lot of times men seem to do the driving in relationships. Given how focused on men and women's dynamics this movie movie is, is, I'm wondering if it's intentional that Amy drives the car because Um, Dustin Hoffman Given everything else, absolutely intentional. Yeah, so Dustin Hoffman, uh, later on, he tries to get in the wrong side of the car because they're in England. Oh, right. Steering wheel's on the right. And he goes, other side, sir. That's right. And that's... Kong Su and Mr... That, yeah. oh, dude. It's like... That's such a good touch that the guys always call him Mr. Sumner or Sir. Mm-hmm. There's always this surface deference. 
Yeah. It's dude, this the the incredible performances, the incredibly thoughtful way that these characters are constructed, calling him sir on the surface. But it's like Yeah. Yeah. Even calling him sir is like a, a display it's, of dominance exactly. in a weird fucked up. You no, know, it really man. is. Yeah. So Amy drives. Because later we find out that Dustin Hoffman's bullshit at driving yeah, his car. Yeah, he's kind of shitty at driving that car. And that, I I propose, because it's a Peckinpah film, and Peckinpah has these rigid ideas about masculinity, I would say that that is another, we're only five minutes into the movie, I'd say that's another emasculation of David. Mm-hmm. Where they're like, oh, look, he has his wife drive him around because right. he can't drive a car. Mm-hmm. And she almost runs over Charlie, Tom, and Norman. Yeah. And David, it just the the hits keep coming. It's you could go through this movie line by line because David goes, "What was that about?" You almost just, but he's genuine concern. Yeah, you, you almost, almost just ran, ran over, over three guys, dudes. Yeah. What the fuck? And she doesn't give him an answer. <laughs> she goes, <laughs> and just keeps driving. Yeah, she's just laughing. He's like, "Would you please explain to me why you almost just ran three people over?" And she's like, "I'm not even gonna." She doesn't even doesn't even acknowledge doesn't that. Even yeah. acknowledge that he spoke. And you're oh, it's. And you see that, like, in the first five minutes, we have a very clear image of David. We know who the men in these village are and mm-hmm. how they act. Yep. And we know... I think it's important. I think my note on it is later, but the major... The major and David are aligned because they're both intellectual men. They're they're men of learning. Yeah. They're men of law. They're men of strict moral fiber. And both of them are completely impotent for the entire film. Yeah. The major... Do you get the sense that Tom leaves not because the major made him leave, but because Tom... He was just done. He had his fun. Yeah. The major didn't He's like, I've made my point. It's fine. I got my... Like, yeah, he's, he's like, done his thing. Yeah. He wanted he's a like, drink. Right, he got his drink. And then yeah. the major, after seeing that the danger's over, is like, you'd better go because I'm an authority figure. Right. And Tom's like, you... And he's... Again, dude, it's that thing where every time uh, Tom meets the major, he's like, can I buy you a drink, major? Where he's like... It's 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 that laughing like middle finger salute where he oh, turns yeah. and he's like, "All right, major, you run me off. I'll leave now, sir." It's just mm-hmm. such a fucking spitting on his shoes, and you get the sense that the major's like, "Called me, sir. See, there you go." Yeah, oblivious to the fact that he's actually just giving him the Boy Scout what salute. What a and hateful like, fucking, movie, yeah. dude. <laughs> um, so the the thesis of the film. So that's all of our characters firmly established in five Jammed minutes. Jammed right in the first five minutes. Six minute. Mark thesis of the film David's uh, they're, they're moving the groceries Into the house and it's Norman and the Rat catcher guy whose name I forget yeah. But uh rat catcher guy is like Like oh yeah you're, uh, We heard you left you, you left America Um uh, the thing you did, there's people getting shot uh, Shooting blacks in uh, the streets you, yeah. and the fires And lynchings any of it? Yeah. and he goes He goes What about you Mr. Sumner do you ever see anyone get Knifed That's right. and there's an, One of my favorite lines in the movie is David like is you see discomfort in his eyes where maybe he has seen something and mm-hmm. that's why he, what he ran from but he kind of he goes only between commercials yeah come on dude Peckinpah's whole film career is showing people that violence is not pretty yeah and he's I think a lot of his film career is a critique of violence in film mm-hmm we haven't watched it for the show yet, but the Wild Bunch is very much like yeah. the violence is real in these westerns. Like there is real right. He's like when you shoot people, and also you don't just shoot heroes and villains. Like it, the, I've seen the end scene of the Wild Bunch or big clips of it in this mm-hmm. these documentaries we watched. They're shooting women. They shoot yeah. children a bunch of times, and they're like 
when there's people, collateral damage. He's like, when people die, it's ugly as fuck, mm-hmm. and it will upset you. So I think it's interesting that David basically he says, says the. Have you ever seen anyone get knifed? Only between, only between commercials. commercials. Yeah. Violence on television, dude. Like, there's your thesis right there. Blam. Um, oh, it's just between commercials. Mm-hmm. But I think that this is. There's so much, so much little subtle, beautiful stuff. David, when he goes inside the house, waves them a peace sign. And they, I missed that. I didn't. He, I didn't pick he waves that with two fingers. Yeah, like, eh. He's just like, oh, I'll catch you guys later. So, but we know in America, and this is Vietnam era. Yeah. So he, that is that's a peace sign. He waves them a peace sign. They wave it back to him, and as soon as the door closes, they flip their hands backwards because two fingers the, reversed is the UK middle finger. Yep. That's so, why you don't say two pints of beer. Right. Uh, two, <laughs> yeah, we'll do dry glazer. <laughs> dry glazer. <laughs> <But>, uh, <laughs> um. I thought that was really interesting that peace and hostility is the it's same. The mirror. It's the not, they're mirror flipped. images of yeah. each other. It's the same symbol in the UK. And I, you know, there's, there's a moment in one of the interviews where Dustin Hoffman is talking about how he wanted to add all this. Dustin Hoffman's like, I wanted to add like a lot of nuance. And I thought David could, I could bring out this thing about David or that thing about David and you bring all the subtlety into it. But Oh, you know, I, I put as much in as I could, but it was Sam and Sam. All, all Sam cared about was making Sam's movie where he's, it seems like and Dustin Hoffman, again, is mm-hmm. very that's one example. Like but kind Dustin, of standoffish about. No, the no, no. Or, but more that one clip that I oh, just okay. said was the only like critique of Peckinpah. Okay, he seems to you. really respect the man okay. and like l- thought it was really interesting working with him, blah, blah, blah. But he would he, that criticism kind of rings false to me because I can't imagine that this level of of subtlety and nuance and like minute symbolism is accidental. And I can't imagine that it's all the work of just the actors and Sam Peckinpah's shooting an action flick in England. Right. No, no, there's a reason that Peckinpah's this films stand up. This, this movie doesn't happen. If that's the case, like, no, definitely not. You get like, you get a weird fucking like get, boondock saints or something. <laughs> or yeah, you get, you get death wish. Yeah. Set oh, yeah, in Cornwall. Death wish. yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so my, I I do have some fun notes before all of the heart went out of me and I wrote right. down now that's oh, God, how yeah. you do a scotch and soda. Oh with the oh the, my when god he that made me want to get one. Well do and it's it, you know psh, psh. yeah nowadays it's like here's a glass with ice a tiny amount of scotch soda to the right. top. Dustin Hoffman's like here's two scotch neats. Loved it. Scotch and soda I was like yeah shit yeah bro. And how badly do you want to get an actual soda soda spritzer soda spritzer i was shopping online oh my the second. God, well dude. that's not true i was basically like staring at the ceiling with right <laughs> did you notice the the return of our old friend which one on the bar cart uh johnny, johnny walker, walker red, red. <laughs> yeah fucking a actually i wrote down the contents of their bar cart in one of my notes <laughs> they have on their bar cart canadian club johnny walker red and smirnoff i was not able to identify the other bottle but i think it's a rum of some kind probably rum um so they're not like real discerning drinkers can i say that okay we're yeah this is scotch and soda i love it peckinpah manages to use this simple act of him making his wife a scotch and soda he drinks out of both of them and then hands her the drink he drinks out of both of them and hands her the drink and then she remakes her drink because she doesn't like how he made it yep Dude, I, I was like, fuck. There's dialogue happening, right? Yep. That's not connected to that at mm. all. This is what we would call in the industry business. Yes. Right? This is your business. So it's like, oh, I'm going to tie a tie while I deliver right. my I'm monologue. I'm going to make a drink. I'm going to write. I'm going to make a, make you a drink or I'm going to flip through the television. Right. It's business for the actors. The business Matters. reinforces fuck, dude. the dynamic between husband and wife. When he took wife. the sip out of both of them and handed it to her, I was like, 
oh, you, wow, that's yeah. that's saying some shit. Yeah. And then she sips it and goes, mm, that's not right. And then makes a new drink. Yeah. I was like, so Dude, much just happened. There's, yeah, it's. In that. You could miss it too. Yeah. Oh, you could you easily you, miss it. You could it just listen to what they're saying. saying, or you're. But dude, it is so right there to like. Now, I wrote down a couple other things because that's not the only thing that happens no, in there's... this 15 seconds of footage. He takes a drink out of both, asserts his dominance. She remakes his drink, asserts her dominance. While he's making the drinks, he she's calling for the cat. Right mm-hmm. now, this is important because this is where explicitly Amy is aligned with an animal, yeah. the cat. She says, um, "David goes, I hate that cat. That cat never comes when I call." And Amy goes, "Do I?" And he goes, "You'd better." Yeah, but that's a little playful at that point, isn't it? Okay, I, here's what I wrote down. I wrote down actually when I wrote it down for a different note. It's when Amy goes in. Uh, okay, David's a mathematician. He has a blackboard. Yeah, she mocks him for his blackboard the whole time. She hates that blackboard. It's full of equations because he's writing a book on. Um, yes, they're also the reason why he's not spending time with her. So it's a very right. real thing that she connects. Yeah, with. it's a it's a physical representation yeah. of his neglect. Exactly. So he she has fucking hates it. He, yeah. So he has <laughs> equations all over it, and she fucks with that board. Pretty frequently She's throughout the film. She's changing this pluses is the, to minuses. This and... is the first thing. Amy erases a plus and changes it to a minus. And I wrote down, dude, even that tiny thing. Like, she could have, if it was a minus, it would have been easier to shoot because she could have just, whoop, made it a plus. But Amy doesn't make things, doesn't make a positive. Amy negates things. She she makes it negative and i wrote down about this whole scene including the stuff with the drinks including the bit where david says uh or when amy says do i come when you call and david's like you'd better i wrote down this doesn't feel playful oh interesting the house this relationship their dynamic the lighting the claustrophobic way that the scene is shot all feels oppressive so i wrote down rather than because there's some Juvenile playfulness yeah. in their relationship. But most of it is. This feels like little. That you know how like when, they're digging at each other a little bit. You know, yeah. Like now, there's there's like a way that that a couple will snipe at each other. Oh yeah, where it's overtly hateful. This seems like pl- this seems like sniping couched in playfulness, where they're mm-hmm. like, "I'm just goofing around, bitch." But it's there's a there's a that there's a sewing needle in the inside of yes, the candy bar. Yeah, that little that there's a there's a little kernel of like just a little too mean mm-hmm. in everything in this scene. Yeah. It's just a touch to you bite it wrong. The needle's going in the roof. Of yeah, your man. Mouth. It's like it's like every joke has this black little seed in the middle of mm-hmm. it, where you're like, that's is that a little you want? It's everything in this whole bit here before we get to the overtly like really horrible stuff all this little like back and forth between amy and david it every single thing i was like that's just a little too far to be funny it's just a touch too far to make me feel comfortable or or like mm-hmm. these characters it's this it's a beautiful dance yeah because it isn't that it is a because it isn't that fun playful like oh my gosh this the, this couple reminds me of of me and my gal because they're so like right this isn't like a funny introduction mm-mm. to the loving marriage that this we're gonna see a sale this isn't Pepper Potts and Tony Stark this is no like... no no and I kind of knowing vaguely like what the movie would eventually be mm-hmm. I was like oh so we're, we're gonna see this beautiful wonderful loving couple and then they're gonna be destroyed but it's not no. they're like a couple that sucks. They're kind of a shitty couple. Yeah, and okay, here's the whole thing. Cat doesn't come. 
David says, you'd better come when I call. Takes a sip out of her drink. Gives her the drink. She cha- she goes and fucks with his blackboard. Remakes her drink because he made it wrong. And then he sits down in a chair and looks at her and goes, is this your No, daddy? he doesn't. He sits next he to sits the chair. He sits on the fireplace. Yeah. Yeah, on the edge of the fireplace next to a chair. And he goes, is this your daddy's chair? And she looks at him and says, every chair is my daddy's chair. And the way that Susan George delivers that line, there is not one hint of playfulness in it. No, she's saying none of this is yours. Yeah, she cuts. This is all my daddy's. That one line cuts Dustin Hoffman's balls completely off. Dustin Hoffman is like. Put his balls in a jar. Yeah, he's (laughs) he's utterly impotent, powerless, worthless. She has literally crushed him like a bug with one line. They've gone through this like weird mean back and forth where you're like, is this supposed to be playful? Right. Why does it feel what, shitty? Right, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden cuz there's it's not malice, but it's like it's superiority. It's like she it's like later they play chess. It's like she just saw checkmate and she goes, "Every chair is my daddy's chair." Right. Drop the mic, walk away. Yeah. You're done. It's there's a there's a there's a pervasive sense through this movie that because Amy is from here, this is Amy's this is her home. This is her home. This is her fa- literally her father's home. It home. is her father's home. Homestead, yeah, this yeah. is her, her house house. Yeah, yeah. Like she grew up in this fucking house. Exactly, like. and like these are her friends. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense there's a really strong sense through the whole movie that Amy's history, her past. Is more important to her than Dustin. Than Dustin, but she's still like frequently. She's still desiring his company and his time, though. In a weird sometimes, sort of way. but it. And, but but other times, it feels more like she's just trying. I don't know. It's such a weird. It's like he's a possession, kind of like a pet. yeah. Like the when when she wants to hang out with him, it's because she wants to. And like then she play. gets over, oh yeah, playful and like childish and all. Of that. Yeah, yeah. It it's uh, it's amazing. Yeah, I've been watching it too. Yeah. When we get when we hit like an hour fifty five, we'll Sweet. we'll call her or move on to the next one. But um, yeah. So then we get then we get like a a bit. The next bit is when they're at. Oh wait, we skipped over something. When they get home from town, mm-hmm. I think I have. Oh, because the one guy stole her panties. Is that that happens right away? Right. Uh yeah, that's right off the bat. Because right the rat the catcher comes out of the house. He's been they've had they have rats in the house and he's yeah. been setting traps. But when they pull up, this is important. The first time they pull up to the house, they nose up to the house. Okay? I'm gonna use this as evidence later, so I need to establish it now. They nose up to the house so that the garage, the men on the the men on top of the garage looking down, they see the hood of the car and the windshield. So when you get out of the car, the door blocks you getting out. Okay? That's the first way that she pulls up to the house. It's important mm, because a little bit later, she, she's going to pull up to the house in a different way. Yeah. So the next thing we see is there in uh, his office and she sits, she like clumps down in a chair in front of the blackboard and puts her feet up on the, on the chalk, the chalk rail. Yeah. The chalk rail. And he looks at her like, doesn't say anything. Uh, he looks at her like, and the, his eyes are like, you better get your fucking feet off my chalk rail. Right. So she does, but she she lays back, and this if you look uh, like read if you like look at stuff, this is a still from the movie that shows up everywhere, and I think there's a reason why she's lounging back in the chair. It has armrests, and she has one foot on the ground, and her other leg is splayed over 
the, the arm. arm. Yeah. So basically, she's lounging back with her legs spread wide, and she's trying to draw him away from his work. Mm-hmm. This is Susan George. This is Amy, not Susan George. Right. Amy. This is Amy. Actually, this is more in line with Susan George's performance, where she wanted it to be what she did rather than what she was wearing or how she mm-hmm. looked or having her breasts This up. is her acting out the... Right. Yeah, she's... This is very, like... So, hey, big boy. This mm-hmm. is That's what she's doing here. So you're going to keep doing that math or come over here? And he... So yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So he takes a bite of gum. Or he, he pops a stick of gum in his mouth and tosses her the stick of gum, which she takes a bite out of. Another one. We had a note on this before. Off yeah, I said, I said, shit, Amy takes bites out of gum, too. Because this, this happened in <laughs> Sleepaway Camp, Camp 2, which yeah. is a Patreon-exclusive episode. But, like, dude, people, don't bite out of your gum. <laughs> Just, Just pop that. Fucking thing. Yeah, it's not, it's not that big. Pieces aren't that big. No. Just... Chew your gum like a normal person. Don't be an Amy. I did sort of dwell on that for a little bit too. Yeah, it kind of kind of caught me up. I was like, did I miss anything while I was ruminating about how she <laughs> right. takes bites out of gum? Um, but it's really interesting where uh, there's a moment where Dustin Hoffman goes, "You act like you're 14," and she goes, mm, yeah. "Yeah, we got to talk about it." I know. And she goes, "I just hate this fucking dialogue." And she goes, "I am." And he goes, "You want to try for 10?" And she starts. It's like smacking her gum. Yeah, starts chewing with her mouth open because she she really truly is incredibly juvenile in yeah. the scene. Yeah, but but you don't side with Dustin Hoffman against her because Dustin Hoffman's being an aloof He's prick. Being yeah, exactly. They both suck, dude. Yeah, they you're both watching suck. this thing and you're like, I don't know where to sit. Yeah, I don't know where to sit in this room. And he's like, and she's like, I'm chewing on her gum. It's really irritating. And Dustin Hoffman goes, You want to go for eight? I'm just crazy for eight year olds. And you're like. But then she goes And then she gets more playful and childish And that's when he's like alright now I'm turned on Yeah pretty much Fuck you It is pretty <laughs> like, pretty much yeah Um. So that's I think I don't know if they go upstairs at that point They leave, They definitely They leave the office They leave I'm, the I'm, office yeah, yeah. yeah Um. I think that's when she goes to like start making She's like making tea and calling for the cat, and because he, oh, he does go right. back to work, I don't yeah. think because they don't have. They eventually will have sex. It's but. not until later that evening after he's done. So here's where my note is: the intellectuals, <clears throat> the intellectuals, David and the major, because I, I noticed this about David because mm-hmm. he doesn't stand up to, um, he doesn't stand up to the guys who are uh, um, working on the garage. Mm-hmm. David and the major show their quote heavy air quotes resistance. Okay. Uh, show their resistance to the bullies of the film by simply existing apart from them, not associating with them, paying for their own cigarettes and wine. The major drinks wine, by the way. Everyone mm-hmm. else in the whole thing He's drinks liquor beer or beer. The, yeah. But the major Whiskey or beer, yeah. Right, but the major drinks wine. Um, but that does nothing to stop these men. Ignoring them with a feeling of superiority does not make them stop. Right? Yep. That's... That's super important because, guys, spoilers, the Major fucking gets blown away by these dudes later. Sure does. Because he basically is just like, you'd better respect my authority. And they just shoot they him. They shoot him. And, uh, yeah, we'll get to it, but, like, was it intentional or was it an actually accident? So, er, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Because um, they're all really we, fucking drunk. We didn't talk about it earlier, but... Uh, we're introduced to Henry Niles at the beginning of the movie. Yes. So Henry Niles. At the very beginning. At the very beginning. Yeah. Right, right. He's walking around. He's the kids in the graveyard. Yep. He's tossing a ball back, back and, and forth, forth. And with he those is, kids. 
He is the village idiot. Yeah, he's and he's the brother of definitely mentally handicapped. He's the brother of uh, I don't know. One I call of the him other brother Niles. Yeah, yeah. He's like T- Terry or Tom yeah. or. And we never oh, we never get told exactly what he John, did, but John we, Niles. Yeah, but we understand that he did some time for doing something to a child. Whether it was right, well, we don't know exactly what, but you it is know heavily that implied that implied he's a pedophile. That he is a pedophile, right? Yeah, and that he's been ordered to, st- and that's another fucked up thing about this whole city. It's like uh, he'll be fine; just keep an eye on him, right? It's like there's, mm, it's he's, he's whatever's nephew. He'll be fine; just keep an eye on him. This scene while he's tossing a ball back and forth, forth with children, with kids. Well, they tell him they say that he shouldn't have done that, and he's like, talks "Oh, it's to, no big deal." That he's just passing a ball back and forth. He talks to Janice Hedden. Uh, Hedden, Tom Hedden, Janice Hedden, mm-hmm. Charlie Venner. These are the these are our main players. Right. Tom Hedden's the big drunk. His daughter is Janice. Right. And at the beginning of the movie, Janice is the one that's walking with with w- Amy. Yes, and I would like and to point aping out, her a little bit too. And this is important because, and this is, oh man, Janice is wearing the shortest skirt in the entire world. You yes. get the sense that she's like fourteen, fifteen, mm-hmm. right? She's yeah. pretty young, so she is wearing. She's the one of the ones carrying the man trap at the beginning of the movie, right? Yep. Yeah. So Janice is wearing a skirt that literally cuts at the crotch. Like that's where the hem is. You, you can you can almost see like her hip. That's how high up this skirt mm-hmm. is. And she comes over to Niles. And this is this is not me putting things on the movie. The movie expressly shows us that she comes up to Niles and she's like, "Hey there Niles. How are you doing?" Like she's overtly flirting with this pedophile yeah and we see her later try to do this with um and i have a note about this too but she tries to do this with david yeah she amy's does. husband mm-hmm. she's very taken with david and yeah. she well her and her boyfriend brother her brother is a brother sorry i missed that completely yeah uh, they watch them have sex yeah they do they watch amy and david have sex and then later this character janice will approach david at a, like a public gathering and be like hey david how's it going and when he brushes her off She's like, fine, and goes over to Niles, and she's like, hey, Niles, would you like to go for a walk with me? Do you want to kiss me? She puts his hand on her breast. Mm -hmm. Um, Janice, now this, again, this is not me. This is not real-world conversation. In the movie, she's literally like a predator. She's like a sexual predator Mm -hmm. because she's a child, and she's pursuing adult men, and she's... I, and yes, this is Peckinpah's world. So in the real world, yeah, you say no, you walk away. Absolutely, but, yeah. but in Peckinpah's world, her death is so squarely placed on her own shoulders. It's something, dude. This is this is something, and we we're not there yet. But this is something we'll eventually have to wrestle with. Is is her death her fault? Well, she didn't. Well, we don't got to do it now. Do well, I know. Well, the, well, the actually, he didn't in, intend to kill her either. He's also mentally handicapped. He's mentally handicapped, which is we've we've covered this. We've tread. We've dipped our toe in this water, and the Patreon exclusive bit on your grave. Like when it's a mentally handicapped or challenged person, how where how responsible how are they for their actions? Exactly. Yeah. It's like fuck, especially that's some deep. Fucking this water, is, man. It's there's a reason that the word problematic. Again, I'm highly underqualified to make any sort of for like, sure, man. I'm, I, but I, in the world of this movie, yeah. And this, like, I think it was. 
I say yes. I, yeah. I, I say mean, this is Janice's yeah. fault. I we okay. We I said the word problematic in our opening statement yeah. three times. Yeah. This movie is it's unavoidable. There's stuff in here that's really really problematically displayed. And the fact that he didn't intentionally kill her is makes it even more problematic. If he had been like, all right, sweet, I'm gonna. He was like, shh, quiet. Yeah. Quiet. It's, it's very kinda, it like very of, yeah. It's yep. very of mice and men. He accidentally killed the bunny. Like, like don't like, scream, don't scream. Right. Oh, no. Exactly. He's like, well, and then he, realize that she's dead. He's he like, tries fuck. to protect her where he's like they might hurt you and yes he grabs her around the neck and i either breaks her neck or holds her for a really long time and right. she strangles but he later niles is going to right. kill janice and i don't think he has the mental capacity to know that it's not a, he might know that it's not okay but he, i don't know the level of his he's kind of he seems kind of slow or mm-hmm. like in a slightly i don't think he's like he's definitely not like like uh, like fully mentally handicapped right. but he's there's able to definitely speak. like he's yeah he's, he's something going on there that he's, is, that is, a, he's like a half a step above lenny and of mice and men right is exactly. where he's living yeah but like i think it's important that this guy who's like i I would like to go for a walk with you. Okay, he plays he plays mm-hmm. simple very very well. The yeah, well, this actor shows great. up a lot in in a lot of movies. He's, yeah, he's very yeah, dude. Everyone like yeah. we talked about it earlier, but everyone's great. There's no slouches here. But when he he walks like when she wants to go walk in in the moonlight with him later, he's so happy to like have company because the whole movie has been all the other male adults hitting him and telling him to stay away from basically everyone. Mm-hmm. Like be alone, be alone, be alone. Don't you fucking do slap, slap, slap. Right. All right. Let's get you home where you can be isolated from everybody. So when this girl shows him kindness and then it, but there is also this weird element of perversion to him. Yeah. Where he's a, he's definitely a pervert. Right. Right. So again, this movie doesn't ever let you sit comfortably with anything. There is no safe opinion. Because if, if he had been like a person without any sort of mental flaws, Mm -hmm. then you can clearly side with well sh- like he's fucked up right yeah and doing a fucked up thing he shouldn't he knows better than to, to go on this walk you don't go on that fucking walk with that kid he's fucked up if he'd have been if he'd been really if he'd have been or... if it had been one of any of the other characters and had been but because he is the character that he is and he is a little bit slower and mm-hmm. he is kind of the village idiot it doesn't it doesn't give you that 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 it doesn't give you that excuse it's right. like, that like it it's, doesn't give you that clear everyone, he's wrong she's right you should know better right good or now, you're good just, there's no good and bad it's just exactly this ugh. this movie does this so well good or evil there isn't in the, that really there in is that. but both in everyone and also what we're bringing this to is, the table as is, far as our morality and what we view as right and wrong okay so we're we're not there yet. We'll talk about it in the second the second episode because we're about to wrap this one. But oh, all right, because we're about to we're yep. getting there. But all of the film critics who talk about the rape scene in this movie, they all say this movie's super problematic. Yeah. Like this this depiction of rape is really troubling and very problematic. And we're gonna discuss it and we're gonna get in some really icky waters. But the other thing that they oh all, we haven't even gotten into the we icky haven't even water gotten yet. we've gotten into some heavy shit, but yeah. we're not in anything. Mm-hmm. We're not even we haven't even gotten ankle deep in this shit I yet, know. dude. But when he, what another thing all those film critics say is one of the things that makes the rape so hard to watch, aside from its problematic portrayal of rape, is that all of the people in it behave like real people the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like I talked about at the beginning where it's there's not. There's no twirling mustache or there's no. I'm a victim. I'm a predator. Everyone. No one is good. 
and no one is fully evil. So the movie forces you. It is if you watch this movie from beginning to end and you actually engage in watching it and don't just sit back with your arms crossed and hate everything you see. If you engage with this movie, you have to. The movie forces you to identify with two at least two out of three of the people involved in the rape. You you definitely like in, you get in with Amy every once in a while, and yep. then you, she does something, and you're like, oh fuck. Yep. And then there's even moments where you can't hate Charlie mid rape, dude. That's hard. We'll get there, but all right. So the last thing I want to say before we wrap this episode, mm-hmm. uh, because it does tie into David and the major being impotent and useless because they just exist apart from their problems. Right, yeah. When um, John Niles is in the pub, all of the men. Uh, Tom and the Charlie and yep. Norman all turn and look at him and Norman says I saw your brother talking to Janice today you better keep him away from from, chill, like, from kids yeah. basically or you, you watch your brother or I'll watch him for you mm-hmm. the it's overt like an overt threat where he's basically like you know I'm if gonna, you watch him I'm gonna fuck him up we're gonna kill your brother yep. if anything if he does anything ever again and I can respect that now I think it's important to note, though, that they are telling that they're telling uh, John Niles this, that if he doesn't watch his brother, they're going to do it for him right in front front of the magistrate who does nothing at all. Nothing. Zero. He doesn't he doesn't do shit. He just sits there like that seems reasonable. Right. Yeah. Dude, that's the (laughs) law in this town. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah. David and the major. Okay, so. We're wrapping part one right now. We're gonna. We've decided we're not gonna do any jokes. We're gonna sh- just shout out our patrons yep. and get on out. So we're a listener supported podcast. If you are <laughs> if you are interested in dives this deep into waters this murky, uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash Max Peterson. If you want to give us thoughts on anything we're talking about today, measuringflixpodcast at gmail.com. We would like to thank our patrons, John Scheibe and Casey Scheibe, Danielle Pelshaw and Connor Sweeney. Thank you guys so much for your support. It uh, it, it allows us to do stuff like this. Absolutely. So uh, tune on in. or I think I'm going to post them all at once. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, so it'll, it's going to be a big, long conversation. So just roll on through to part two. Thank you guys so much for listening and uh, hang on. We'll get there.